Welcome to Occasionally Awesome. I'm Nick Youssef. I'm Kevin Christie. Um, man, we have had a good week of fucking episodes. Yeah. Um, did a couple back to back. We're excited about them because um, we don't we don't have a lot of guests. We do here and there, um, and then when we do, they're like always interesting people that like yeah talk about a lot of fucking cool shit. Of these so, boring comics. I know these boring comedians <laughs> just want to bullshit. No, yeah. um, and then they uh, you know they, they're they're coming up stories are always cool. So the next uh, couple episodes, of this one. And next week's or the week after, depending on what, what when we decide to release them, are going to be cool. So if you're into um, discussions on like creativity, how people get started, and how they get into what they get into uh, in the world of like art and and writing and all that stuff, uh, these are for you. Um, and they're good. Uh, this week's episode, uh, today's, right now, is the very lovely, the very talented, the very funny, the very interesting uh, author of many books, Sarah Benincasa. Yep. Um, she's super cool. Uh, was very happy to come do the show. She she was living in New York. She went L.A., New York, L.A. to New York. Now she's back in L.A. Um, and she's got a book coming out called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. This is like book number four for yeah. her. Um, the one previous is called DC Trip, uh, Young Adult Fiction, just to switch up genres, she said. Yeah. You know, because she's like written a few. So... Uh, she's one of those people. She's very charming, very smart, very funny. Yeah. Um, had always wanted to be a writer and got involved in, in comedy. She explains how she got into that world from wanting to be a teacher and, and how, like, you know, her long-term goal was, like, I'm going to be a writer. And then the journey to get to that is a really cool story. And, and uh, she's got a lot of fun, funny anecdotes in there and, uh, and gets into how she's essentially now working on book number five and yeah. real artist is book number four which is going to be which is available for pre-order now uh uh paperback uh or hardcover i'm sorry and and kindle uh so google that get on amazon and pre-order it sarah's very funny um you follow her on twitter uh sarah with no h uh j ben Nincasa, and same on instagram and her website so go to all those places so you can uh, uh click to pre-order the book and all that stuff and just to keep track of what she's doing, she's very funny on Twitter too, and uh, and a super cool girl. Um, so it was like a really cool conversation. Yeah, to you have get to hear that kind of the ins and outs of how she got started and how one. I always like to hear how one thing led to another, and yeah. it kind of turned you. It's a, it's a good indication of you never really know what you're going to end up doing, but if you just kind of keep trying and yeah. keep doing your thing, it leads yeah. to a thing, and, and she's one of the lucky ones who now gets to do what she wants to a certain degree and make a living doing it. Yeah. And there's also, like, the, even the book thing is turning into other things. and Right, yeah. You know, so, yeah. It, yeah. It, I always find that fascinating to hear. It's encouraging to hear people who go through something similar or you're like, oh, so you do that. Or, yeah. you, or, or it turns out you take it to this person, and that they saw it. Like, it just... it. it I, I was after we were done talking. I felt kind of encouraged. Which yeah, is good. They're a good reminder. Those a lot of because that's a, lo- a lot of the conversations we've had with like artists and writers and, and things like that are like they're a reminder that there's no overnight success no. or that you could start out like you said wanting to do one thing and then you end up going like oh I I want to do this actually more and I'm still being creative and still getting whatever out of me yeah and then they end up happy and successful and all that but yeah a lot of these stories that a lot of these people tell or like I want 
I wanted to do this one thing and then 10 plus years or however many years later like I stuck to it and I've you know done a lot of cool shit met a lot of cool people and now I'm like making it happen yeah you know and that's like my living and stuff so um, this is another one of those with uh, with a super cool girl uh, a couple of you have sent in some questions about our shirt uh, you did not miss the pre-order it has not happened yet uh, we had a couple of there's been a couple of hang-ups along the way and we we're figuring out the best simplest way to sell it to you at the cheapest possible way is kind of what it is and simplest on our end because we're doing it on our own we're not going to have another company uh, sell it to you because it's it's just a little bit more complicated and the cost is a little higher and we just don't want to do it but also on our end we don't want to make it so complicated that it just like upends our and by our I mean my (laughs) figuring out how to like you know get these things and then package them and send them to you so we want to do it so where we're not sending you to some random weird site. We want yeah. to use somewhere like Big Cartel or wherever we, we end up on. So it's something that you're familiar with and maybe you already have an account in. So you don't have to like go create something new and put your credit card in and then you just give up halfway through and don't get our yeah. shirt. Um, so we want it to be simple on both ends and affordable and get you like a really cool shirt. Uh, quick, easy, and not a lot of money out of your pockets, and maybe some back in ours. So <laughs> that is the that's the update on that. So I mean, I'm hoping in the next like couple of weeks we can have that um, sent out to you. So that's the update for that. And um, as far as road stuff, I'm not really anywhere for right now. <laughs> as I'm checking, someone just sent me a text. Hey, there's no line at Shake Shack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, my friends do care. So, uh, yeah, I'm not anywhere until, uh, I think as of now till June, I know it was supposed to be in Cleveland. That didn't happen. Sorry. Uh, but June 1st through 5th, Portland, Oregon, I'll be there all week doing the Bridgetown comedy festival. Also in June, I'll be at good nights in, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I'm also planning to be in New York either in June or July. So stay updated for all that NickYusef.com um, Twitter same thing Instagram same thing contact at NickYusef.com uh, if you want to uh, tell me something comment on something send me something all that fun stuff you can all do there and you guys do so I appreciate the emails um, it's always cool to hear from you um, and that's about it enjoy this episode with Sarah uh, we thank you again Sarah for doing it and let us know what you think of the episode we'll see you next week I like him a lot. He's people great. people want to give him a hard time. I think he's awesome. I think he's really cool. I've been a, when I was he was the first contemporary artist whose name I knew um, when I was a, a teen because I liked to read Vogue and then uh-huh. I always talk about him. He owns all these amazing buildings in New York, and like he's just I don't know. I think he's rad. And every time he makes a movie, it's fantastic. Yeah, he's an amazing artist, and his son, one of his kids, is dating uh, Vito Heidi Klum. Yeah. yeah, his son's turned into a really good art dealer. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That he's, he's very talented. That's yeah. the dude that stole her away from Seal. 
Uh, no, I think like common sense stole. I think away punching her in the face. Wait, Seal hit her? Oh, I didn't know. Apparently, that. I, didn't know I that. just have heard. I, I haven't heard so about bad. any violence um, at all. I've just heard that you know she's amazing, and he's and, not. And uh, he, you know, hey, maybe he's great to some people, but. I think she's a queen and deserves the best. <laughs> it's my diplomatic answer. Yeah, I like Julian so Stamble because he right paints now. outside. Yeah, and he made a big. He makes big buildings that upset people, but they're weird and they're cool. weird and cool. Italian villa on top of some weird building in New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so your first job was hosting a radio show. Yeah, I hosted a show on Sirius XM um, from 2008 to 2010. So is this like first job like out of college or first job no, in entertainment like no, when you... I, um, it was my first entertainment job really. I mean, I had freelanced, I guess my first sort of what you might say were entertainment jobs in any way where I did a, a show, I did a blog about dating for Nerve.com back huh. in the day in like 2006 and... Um, promptly got a boyfriend so it was it immediately became very boring but um i also hosted a series of videos there where i would interview people in the bathtub and so my first guest was reggie watts okay. no it was andy borowitz oddly enough um and then it was reggie watts and jonathan ames and then um I forget who it's else. It's a good run. It was a good run. <laughs> yeah. It was a bunch of people. The first three, yeah. For the one with Reggie, well, I lived in this haunted old brownstone in Brooklyn, and it was, uh, the basement level was where the owner lived, and then the first level and the second level and then the roof, everybody had access to. So um, there were three of us living there, and it had the world's largest collection of paint-by-numbers vintage paintings. Oh. So they all hung on the wall, but they hung oh. in like that kind of European gallery style where yeah. it's one on top of the other and top of the other and top of the other. Yeah. So um, some of them were, you know, you walked in, there were clowns, weird yeah. clowns, Whoa. and yeah. off-brand Disney-esque stuff. Oh. Very strange and fun. And so it was a great place to hang out. And so we, we decorated the bathroom, and we put Christmas lights around the bathtub, which is a really bad idea. Um, and yeah, it looks cool, safety but safety-wise? Wise. No, it's terrible. Yeah. I wish I had the video of me and Reggie still because mm-hmm. we were just like laughing and like he was singing and we were like kind of dancing and um, the, you just see, like they definitely started to spark. We almost died. Jesus. <laughs> but we didn't and now we're both doing great. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. But yeah, that was the first. But then, um, yeah, I got this job on Sirius XM on this channel targeted at women uh-huh. and young women. Um, and I didn't really feel like I fit the demo at all because I, I didn't watch The Bachelor and I didn't watch um, anything with a Kardashian in it. Now I'm a big fan. I just bought Chloe's book, Strong Looks Better Naked. But Which the, is a book? It's delightful. <laughs> wait, hold on. What? Oh, wait, what? Wait. Chloe's first official Chloe Kardashian book is called Strong Looks Better Naked and the cover is actually a fold out of her naked but you don't see any of her parts and you can hang it on your wall. Is okay. okay. Is I'm, sur- I'm actually sort of surprised it took her this long to put out There's a book. There's more. It's it's deeply inspiring. She's been through some shit. It seems like her and Lamar are breaking up again. Well, she's been through some shit with that one. I think. He. I mean, I watched Kobe's last game, and Lamar was there. Yes. And he still. You were. You like still looked at him. Physically, he was there. You still looked at him, and he just didn't look. His clothing told you he doesn't make the best decisions. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that when you, if you've ever had a partner in your life some of us have who has struggled with uh, addiction and um, that's a tough thing it's a tough road to hoe and uh, if we have struggled with addictions ourselves that's Mm -hmm. tough and you know she's got to do what she's got to do but she seems pretty 
she seems pretty fucking rad. She people seems are like, always think I'm kidding, and I'm not. She seems like the one people like mo- the most now. I think because she's the one. If if they've become characters of themselves, which they have, they play characters yeah. of themselves on TV, right. right, and all these shows and brands and blah, blah blah. She's the character who's the most relatable because she dealt with weight issues. She was yeah. probably normal size for regular America, but in yeah. her family, she was big, and. You saw, like, it was very public, her documenting getting into exercise, a stress release during her breakup from him, and most of us have dealt with addiction or been with a partner who dealt with it. Like, a lot of us have had a dramatic family. My friend said, I don't remember which friend it was, because I, w- I would very much like to give him credit, but he said, we're all Kardashians and Jacksons in the end. <laughs> and I said, actually, yeah. Yeah, right, Just yeah. about the money. Yeah, right. So when did you turn from... I don't want to ever hear about these Kardashians to I'm a big fan. Like, what was there? Was there a specific moment where you were like, oh, I see what they're all about, or I see the other side? I think I had, well, I mean, more recently, I was seeing someone who, who loved the show, and so that made me actually watch it. But I, I think, no, I got, I got interested longer. I, I think when people started shitting on Kim Kardashian for taking selfies, I thought that was really interesting. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, she takes she she makes we're all narcissists to some degree, and she uh, makes it clear and celebrates it. So, is it the fact that she's owning it, like the fact that she's not paying someone to take this photo of her, like these other celebrities who you admire are, but she's taking it of herself? What is that? And and the more I saw how people shamed and blamed her for showing her body, that I sort of it made me intrigued. I was like, huh, interesting. I don't know these people; they could all be fucking monsters in real life, but. <laughs> the way people reacted to her character was very interesting to me. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was only surprised by the selfie thing because I was just like, how is how are you surprised by that behavior at this point with yeah. her? She's never been anything but surface level, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, Chloe is the one who talks a little more in depth, who like yeah. apparently, at least, her character, right, like reads poetry, is into it, and when you read her, you know, her Twitter and her blog, I have the app, um, I just, got, <laughs> a Chloe I just got it three days ago because I was That's like, this funny. is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's actually smart and funny and always, like ridiculous. And I've seen a few, I haven't watched the show much, but there's some moments where she has some like pretty good zingers, which may or may not have been fed to her. And so it's, it's you know, it's interesting, I think, to be conscious of the fact that it's all artifice, but then also to be intrigued by what is the reality behind that. Right. I would wonder how much their show... Because I've seen the, you know, a little bit of the ins and outs of reality shows. Oh, yeah. Unscripted is intense. Yeah. And it's very, you know, there, there's a, tons of people there and they're figuring out all the moments. Theirs must be even more so because it's so huge. It's so massively popular that that kind of super fast run and gun reality thing is probably much more slowed down on their show because it's a huge show. It, I wonder if they take borderline as long as like a single camera because to get these, it's like, no, no, let's go back. Kim, say this. Kim, like, mm-hmm. there's so much money at stake in every word that comes out of their mouth because so much of their, they're so product-based at the time. Yeah. They, they sell so much shit. Oh, yeah. And I imagine they have to measure their brand their words. Brands. Yeah, their brands. They have to measure their words so carefully that it's not like a normal reality show where the producers are kind of the bosses and are like, let's make these people look as dumb as we can possibly can because they'll look, and that'll be interesting. 
the Kardashians have so much more power. And I think Kim, if, is, Kim is an EP. Kim is like a co-EP on all that. Yeah, shit. they can go. I mean, if they want, if if they felt they were being wrong, they'd be like, "We're going to go to a different network," and it, they could go anywhere in the world. They could have their own network. And if they, they have want final to. say over every cut. Yeah, like, I, there is no doubt in my mind that like she's there in the editing room sometimes, or she's distant getting cuts and looking at stuff, and that they all are. And then her mom has been her momager for a long ass time. Yeah. And so the mom is in management. I was just at, I was at the Zoolander two premiere, and uh, Kendall was there the model one Kendall Jenner and it was interesting seeing red carpet because I was like inside watching the red carpet outside on the monitor and I was like this is so interesting because you know Chris was off to the side like she was there but it was very clear that Kendall was a center of attention yeah and but she was there with her daughter and like Chris wasn't trying to steal focus it was just really interesting to like see. she knows she can really compartmentalize. No, that today I, I'm trying to get Kendall this particular thing, and if I'm there, I will fuck it up. So I'm going to be here to make sure everyone talks to her, but not in the way I'm not going to stand in front. Like she knows exactly how to do that thing. Yeah, it's it's you're inside and outside the matrix at the same time. And I guess for me being inside, it was at Lincoln Center. I guess for me being inside, I was I brought my dad for his 60th birthday. And I was like, Dad, look. And he had no idea. He was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God, is that Jennifer Aniston? I was like, yes, she's right. Like, she was like, in the room. And my dad was like, ah. I was like, what? I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. That is a bigger, yes, that is, objectively speaking, it is a bigger deal that Jennifer Aniston is like 10 feet away. Right. Don't be weird, Dad. Don't. Be, and my dad's not a weird, he's not creepy. You know? He's not going to like point. He was just like, yeah. like, like I thought he was going to die. And then when he saw Penelope Cruz, I was like, it's over. Everyone's dead. And afterwards, yeah. my dad, you know, we saw the movie and saw these people and afterwards I was trying to explain who the fat Jew was because he was there my dad was like I don't that I don't think it's, like you shouldn't say that that's not a nice thing to say I was like yeah. no that's what he calls himself dad my dad was very confused yeah. and afterwards he was just like Jennifer Aniston she's not even in the film he was like Jennifer Aniston is so beautiful she's just a classic <laughs> that's beauty. just what he was stuck on all night that's I'll funny like, buddy I'm not arguing with I, you I, I, it's I, better that he was upset because it would have been maybe creepier if he was obsessed with Kendall Jenner you're like wait she's 19 you're 60 yeah Where's Kylie? you should know who she is yeah, yeah. Like, dad Kylie will be interested in dating you in five years right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. getting a little younger it upsets me that the fat Jew is there he was there sitting right in front of Michelle Collins and Michelle took a picture and put it on Instagram because his like uh, the, the ponytail thing yeah. he, it was right in front of her and she was like oh my god I can't believe this is happening that guy is the worst I wonder what the business reality of his thing is now what if it has had any effect at all or do you know him at all on any level no he has a cameo in uh, in the movie but he doesn't have any lines okay. and, and I think that you know, I think that they shot, to be fair, I, I think that a they long shot time before ago. Yeah. all that stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've never followed him. I don't really know, like, I, I don't know much about his deal. Um, but I, it was in, uh, it was very interesting to be in a place that was like, there's Jennifer Aniston, there's Penelope Cruz, yeah. there's Will Ferrell. And the fat Jew. Yeah, there's a guy yeah. who calls himself fat the Jew. Fat, the guys who got famous by calling himself fat yeah. Jew. And I never know if it's the fat Jew or the fat Jewish. I he think, owns both. Does he yeah. own both? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because yeah. I think I think fat Jewish is his full name, but his friends call him fat Jew. Yeah. <laughs> that's his Christian name, you know? Right. Like his, his confirmation name was Jewish. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. By fat Jew. That's really funny. <laughs> Yeah. It was it was weird. I mean, I haven't. Have you guys spent a lot of time? Like, I, I haven't done a bunch of red carpet shit in my life. Have you done? I've been to very few. I mean, I, I wasn't on the red carpet. I was just there. I've 
I've only been on the red carpet maybe three times, and yeah. it felt awful. It's real weird. It felt very awful. You've, I, I always feel bad. I, I don't know what to do. I've seen people do it really well. It's really, yeah, it's, it's weird to see, because if you're watching it, like, and you're, you're at one, but, like, you know, just as a, as a spectator, and you watch, like, the really famous people and how they handle themselves, and then you're like, who's that guy? And the press treats them the same way, because they kind of don't know who they are, yeah. and then they're just, like, standing there looking around. Hey, and, you, do you remember watching, um, what was that movie? Uh, Sarah Marshall, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. I'm, I've been thinking about that movie a lot, because I've been dealing with, like, a couple of breakups over the past year I suggest not stacking them um, but you know in the movie like he's he's broken up with her she's dumped him or whatever and she's yeah. dating the most famous cool dude in the world right. Russell Brand and then um, he is like I'm sad uh, and he can't get away from it because her image is everywhere yeah. and yeah. there one thing that struck me was when they're on the red carpet and this is very you know it's, it's very clear in the film that this is intentional obviously that's not a mistake you see what it's like for somebody to have to just hold the purse and stand aside and I think that a lot of us like I've never dated a famous person but I certainly have dated people who took up more emotional space in the relationship and yeah. were, were more powerful so I was kind of metaphorically holding the handbag all the time yeah I I've I relate experienced to that, that, that on I times. went on when I got on tour with Whitney. I'm definitely holding the purse. <laughs> you gotta yeah, I, oh, and, yeah, or just like managing like you. I get I feel protective, so I kind of am like trying to look around and see who's gonna like who's noticing that person and who's gonna come in and try to like maybe bother them or like ask for something, and you just kind of like. Like okay, this is a situation. All these people are going to want to walk towards this person and talk to them, and yeah, you feel kind of, I don't know. I, to me, it, it feels like a jo- not a job, but like oh, I better be careful. I better pay attention. I better. You have to hy- be kind of yeah. hyper vigilant. The responsibilities yeah. of you as a friend somehow automatically shift. You become a yeah. handler in a sense, or you become yeah, in a weird way. Because I, you notice more eyes are on you, but not yeah. on you. It's just you and your like in your vicinity. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, okay, things have changed. We're not like as if we're sitting in a living room talking. Like people are staring. They want to come up and take a picture, ask questions, and then you have to like do something. You get very reactionary. I think some people do. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen one time I accidentally hit the car of a celebrity person. And um, not not hard. I just scratched it, and he was super nice about. It. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." I was just getting out of a parking spot, and I was like, "I'm so sorry." He was so sweet, but his friend was infuriated. And I've seen that not directed at me. And the dude was super cool. He was like, "Listen, we don't have to go through insurance. I can just take this to my mechanic and get it buffed. Like, who cares?" Yeah. You know, he wasn't like, "I'm rich. This is nothing." But you know, yeah. he was very nice, yeah. and I was like, "That's cool." And, I was like, you're hypnotically beautiful. But, <laughs> I, but I've seen that with a few friends. Like I, I've seen, I, you know, even sometimes in pictures, like it's funny when paparazzi try to get shots and a friend will get in there. And like I've seen sometimes with some friends will like flip off the camera or do something fun yeah. just, to be, just to be a protective person. And it's, it's interesting. But I think that anyone who's dated someone with a big personality, um, even if you have a big personality, knows what it's like to kind of emotionally be that person who's holding their hand yeah because you're dating two people in a sense you're yeah. dating like the person you know privately and personally and then their public persona which is being like pointed at every time you're in public so you're kind of like you have you're in two relationships i was dating someone for many years who um is a great guy and 
who isn't famous and neither am I, but he, you know, does TV pretty frequently doing like pop culture commentary and things like that. News commentary. Is it Ryan Seacrest? Yeah, it's Ryan Seacrest. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. So we can now, now that we know his name, we can continue. Yeah, it's Ryan Seacrest. So I was dating Ryan Seacrest. Is it hard dating someone shorter than you? (laughs) No, it was awesome. I just sat on his face all day. Perfect. While walking down the street. Got a giant head. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. Yeah. But it was interesting because when we... I feel like everyone can be a celebrity now because yeah. Yeah. when we, we dated on and off and so like when there was sort of, he has like random fans and I, I guess I do too and they're different but they're attentive and then there's a few people who get really engaged in your life and yeah. uh, we broke up and he, you know he got some weird direct messages and so did I from people and sometimes people will try to like stir the pot yeah. You know, and and tweet at both. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of strange. But yeah, the fame thing has changed. For sure, it's like, more accessible. Yeah, and there's it's now like smaller bubbles and pockets of it. There's no, I mean, there's still like obviously worldwide Leonardo DiCaprio fame, right. but there for a lot of people, fame is not just that anymore. It's like what you are seeing every time you open your computer. Like YouTube stars, to some people, are famous celebrities and there's no way you can tell someone they're wrong to think that like to some people they're just as big as like someone who's you know like the star one of the stars of Mike and Molly or something and they also to a 19 year old same thing they have the numbers to back it up yeah because they can also look at an episode of Mike and Molly for example and say like well this episode pulled in this many viewers right and then they can look at the raw data of how much um, so-and-so with a daily talk show on YouTube gets yeah. every day and it's nuts and I, I was recently weird. Um, in the process of like figuring out if I was going to do a project with some YouTube folks and do some writing for them and it was interesting to see the the reach that yeah. such a the fandom is huge and it's loyal and it's deeply devoted and it can also be antagonistic I have I have sure. you know various friends who've made it big in that way and to see how conscious they are of what they put online is interesting. Yeah. They have to be, they go batshit unless they have a very carefully curated, and that word is overused a lot, but a very carefully curated online presence and yeah. then offline. It's, I was talking to somebody once because I had a weird experience once where somebody took a photo of me without asking my permission and then put it on Instagram. And like where you were in, just sitting somewhere in public. I was at a Bjork concert. Okay. <laughs> I was at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And I was sitting with my friend Heather Fink, who's a director, and we were sitting up like um, in the mm, I don't know, kind of balcony seating. Okay. And uh, and I don't know. I took a picture of the stage before Bjork was on, just to be like, oh my gosh, look, I'm at Carnegie Hall. This is exciting. Yeah. And it was actually a real wake up call for me. This was a few years ago because somebody later, a different person was like, did you know some random took a photo of you? And I looked at it, and it's a really far away photo. But they were like, oh, look, there's you know Sarah Benincasa at the Bjork concert. And it was just a stranger. It was so weird to me. And so sometimes when, when, whenever I am confused about something, I ask someone who's an expert in that realm. Because I dabble. Not, I don't dabble. That's not true. But I do a lot of different things. But I don't think I'm a superstar in any one of them. Uh-huh. So... Uh, I ask people who are actually super good at it. Like with my taxes today. You know, I tried to do it and then I talked to my accountant and he was like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Aw, look at like, you with your calculator. He was like, nope. Yeah. And I Did was you like, try to add it in your phone? All right. <laughs> he was like, this is a terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah. But um, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to ask an actual famous. I like to call them famouses. So I asked an actual famous. I was like, does this happen to you? And they were like, all the time. And I was like, when does it happen? They were like, when I'm out with my kid, when I'm out with my family, when I'm taking care of my parents, when yeah. I'm out, like, 
Basically yeah. when I'm not in my home. Yeah. yeah. And this is not a person who is Tom Cruise by by yeah. any stretch. This is a person who's who's very talented, but like yeah. this isn't a, Is it Ryan like Seacrest? Yeah, it's Ryan okay. Seacrest. It's Ryan. <laughs> right. <laughs> your boy your boyfriend Ryan Seacrest. Okay. I like are we dating? You know, are we seeing each other? Yeah. I can't go there. Yeah. The chemistry's so strong. It's really right. intense. Mm. For me, you know, for him, it's just like, he's so busy. So what did you decide after that moment where you're like, sometimes people are going to take pictures of me and I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and say. I thought it was weird and I thought, I I knew, I thought it was weird. What it reminded me of, it wasn't like the start of a trend by any means. I wasn't like, no, I've made it. It was like, wow, some people are fucking bananas and have no boundaries. And it also drove home to me the fact that like, I mean, this can happen for you dudes too, absolutely. But I was like, as a woman, I, I can't I gotta be real careful about we I shouldn't be telegraphing my location to the world yeah that's yeah. not a good thing I find that kind of like sometimes I'll go I'll, I'll like tweet something or Instagram something about somewhere I'm gonna go eat or, or, or whatever and then a couple of times like people have shown up there weird, dude. and I'm like well now I gotta do that like after I've left or the next yeah. day cause you never cause sometimes people will message you like weird creepy things whether they're just like they know way too much about you and it's like sort of unsettling where you're like what it's weird that you know those things and are like telling me that you know them yeah like you, know? you saw like oh i know your i know your sister from seventh grade and you used to like uh, ring pops yeah, or just like ah! obscure facts that you think yeah. no one would remember but then when you, when they like list a few of them in a row you're like that's kind of weird they're trying to make a connection with you somehow. yeah yeah i did have i had actually uh, this is funny i didn't think about this but uh, uh today um an actress on twitter who i i just know through twitter but she seems really cool and we have a lot of friends in common was like hey i thought i saw you in a coffee shop but i didn't want to be weird and i appreciated that because a she's like way more likely to get harassed by people in public than me yeah but b i get that because that that to me wasn't that to me was a normal thing like when you see somebody you've met once or they're a friend of a friend and you want to say hi, but you're like, oh, they're talking to their other friend. That was like normal. That wasn't creepy. Yeah. I think that's a thing you can say and then it's your your place to be like, oh, you should have said hi. Then they know right. if it ever happens again, I was like, oh, they're allowed. Just, I honestly was just like, I'm going to you know, text her or email her later and be like, do you want to just get coffee? Because it's someone I wanted to meet who's cool. Yeah. And I think that, the, but I can see how to some people those distinctions are hard to figure out so I can see how especially if you don't have a really solid handle on social norms if you have right. trouble like we talk about taking the temperature of a room right like that's yeah. something that we as performers have to do sure. um, not everybody like has to do that ever or knows how yeah. to do that so, and also and they they keep the, the definitions of that keep changing <laughs> sure absolutely because now it's like well I, you know you talk to people online kind of more than you do in person a lot of the time so you're like Wait, is it okay to like just talk to a stranger that I interact with on social media all the time, whether it's just like favoriting things or, you know, at replying sometimes or commenting on Instagram? And then you see him and you almost want to go, oh, wait, we don't know each other. What do I do? And then you end up reverting back to just like messaging them and be like, I saw you an hour ago. I wanted to say hi. And then that becomes your icebreaker. (laughs) We're like, I think if this were 15 or 20 years ago and you saw someone that you kind of knew from, you know, the public sphere or something, you could have just walked up and be like, hey, I don't want to interrupt, big fan, and then shake their hand and walk away and they would have been just fine with that. But I think it's neat when people do that. To, yeah. I've seen, uh, people don't, I mean, that happens once in a while to me, but to like, you know, I, I, people who I call actual famous people, um, I've seen it happen and it's very respectful. Yeah, yeah. It's very nice to see and it's interesting to see the, the, um, 
the different like different people pull in different audiences right and some people who are really raw and talking about a lot of really tough shit will like on stage or whatever will pull in people who are a bit more needy emotionally yeah, yeah. It, it all depends on the persona they set like and then there are people who are very much there's a distance there and people respect that yeah there's almost like a sort of a fear to do it in a, in a weird way because they're just like I don't really know what's going on in that guy or girl's head so I don't even want to like go up to them but some people are so honest and open that you feel like you can just walk up and be like and just start talking about something deeply personal and you've never met them in your life but you see it happen sometimes and you're like that's a really cool thing you've put together yeah. so now you can just like have conversations with total strangers and they're almost like they're instantly your friend and then they know to go away after that yeah, they pick then, up on it real quick, yeah. which is interesting. They, if there's a, a kind of... I mean, I, I write about mental illness a lot, um, so you would think that my the people I interact with at, at book signings or comedy events or whatever um, would be that way, but you know, who would, but actually they, a lot of them have a really strong sense of boundaries. Like I had yeah. a, somebody came up to me at a recent book event. I was on the road and this girl came up to me with, I was promoting a different book, but she had my first book, which was called Agora Fabulous. And it was about dealing with, um, you know, suicidal thoughts and, and depression and agoraphobia. So fear of traveling outside your home yeah. is mm-hmm. like sort of the broad definition. Is that something you have or something you were just writing? Oh about? no, it's something I have for sure. It's okay. something I, I've dealt with, um, since I was a little kid and, um, probably always will, but but uh, I'm super medicated, so I'm fine, and I've been through a lot of therapy. But she came up to me, and she was like, this is the first time I've been out of my house for anything but work in two years. Whoa. And I makes me want to cry talking about it. And I, she was like, is, and then she looked at me and goes, is that weird? And I was like, yes and no. I was like, you know from reading the book that you have that I get it. So we're like in the same tribe. And I was like, so, yeah, we're weird. We're in the same weird tribe. And I was like, it you didn't ask me anything personal about myself. You didn't violate my space at all. You right. told me something that makes me really happy and proud and excited. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm so proud of you. And so that was a really nice, you know, interaction. I wrote her a little Noah signed her book and stuff. And so stuff like that is like so amazing. And, you know, people all the time will, will say like, I had, you know, I read your book. I had, I have depression or I tried to commit suicide a few years ago. And you would think, or at least I would think that those would be the people who would then be weird, like really inappropriate those are the most respectful people because they know what it's like to have those those like <laughs> boundaries invaded or to be like judged and mocked oh, hell for them. Yeah. Like I've never, you know, I don't talk extensively about that that kind of stuff. But like I've written a couple things on it, and I talk about it in my stand up, like depression and, and drinking and, and being sober and stuff. And from the minute I started doing it, like my interactions with people online and audience members has shifted from like either people coming up and just saying, Hey, great job. I like this and that to like personal conversations about their struggles with like anxiety, suicide, drinking and all these things. And I'm like, and in my head, it was just like, these are things I want to get off my chest. But then you're having conversations with people where you're like, you feel like this weird responsibility to like, you got, I got to set everything aside right now and like talk to you about this thing that you're like unloading on me, not in a negative way, like no, unloading, but they're like, you, I, I relate to what you're, cause they're looking at you like, that's a guy like standing on a stage telling this to a bunch of strangers and they in a way feel like what well, a, I can't do that when it comes to the, those issues but he's doing it and now I want to talk to him about it 
Yeah, sometimes and, you're the first, their first taste of the fact that it's okay yeah. to have a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so you become their gateway, it's almost, I want to say their gateway drug to other stuff. And your balance, your, your struggle, I'm sure, as it is mine, is um, how do I have this interaction, be respectful, and genuinely connect while also protecting myself and establishing that I'm not a therapist and I can't. Right, right, right. So, I, you know, sometimes I think you develop, I develop certain, um, I mean, like I have a list of resources in my in my saved in my laptop that I'll send to people who email me. Right. Because you sort of like ex- experience that interaction and then refer them to a higher power. Yeah. Like an yeah. expert. I love experts. Because there is like, <laughs> yeah. I would think you'd be a little wary of that level of responsibility. For sure. And you're also, you don't, from a legal standpoint, of course, you don't want to be ever liable and whatever. Oh, but yeah. also you, um, you always lead with, you know, kindness and compassion, but you also know your limits and it's all, but it's also like conversely, it can be really tempting to think you can fix somebody. And that's, I have enough issues with that in my personal life with dating and friendships and family. And I don't need to like work out that shit on strangers. So I never have that tempted. I'm just like, I don't want to be responsible for, ah, get me out of here. Yeah. 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 You, I mean, there's some, I I always have, I I like have over time because my book came out in 2012, but I started doing, um, I started workshopping the show it was based on in like 2009. Mm -hmm. So over time, I kind of, what I learned to do was to like listen and be very, not be afraid to end the interaction. Right. Because you got to set a boundary. And like if somebody goes home and, and, and it feels really awful, that's not your fault. That's you, you set a boundary and you can, you know, always just set and you can do it without being mean. Just be very clear. Like I have to go, but, um, good luck or whatever. Yeah, that's something you learn too, like to like gracefully exit a conversation that could be very like heading towards heavy and you're just like, I gotta exit now before this turns into like a therapy session. And most people are not like that. They're not just like, let me unload all my problems and they start crying. But sometimes you do meet people after, especially after like comedy shows, it's like 11 p.m. or midnight and they've been drinking. So they're just a little more emotional. You know, so you gotta like, (laughs) <laughs> well, and Dan- dance around kind of, certain things they've, they've dealt with stuff in the past and like let's say that they're on medication or anything right. anyway that can interact with your medication the drinking and then it's right. even more uh, intense like I totally yeah. get it yeah but it's made like it's made talking to audience members so much more um fun in a weird way and it's weird to use the word fun but it's so much better than like the standard how long have you been doing this how do you write jokes where's your favorite city you've traveled to you're talking about like actual you know real issues that are going on in your lives and then it turns into other you know things like you know music and like you know fun stuff that doesn't it doesn't feel like an interview basically it's kind of like um the difference between some kind of a I don't know I, I haven't done online dating in a while but don't start no but, uh, <laughs> my friend is like you need to join this Illuminati Tinder app I'm like okay um, what the fuck is that it's, called it's it's, it's, it's uh, rich and or famous people Tinder oh yeah I know someone on it yeah yeah I do too rich I know a bunch and of or fa- is it it's the Raya for, it's yeah oh, yeah I'm on the waiting list <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'm sure I would like never even get in but I, will no, I don't know how they select people. It's, they have a committee. Yeah, the, yeah. They have a secret committee. And they use like your, they're like, we look at your Instagram profile and we have like people. That I know like someone pit, who's in like, it and I guarantee you'll both get in. Oh my God, let's go out with each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's like. My friend told me, he goes, he goes, I got in because I got on the waiting list and I was like, 
I shouldn't be on the waiting list. And then he emailed them and like just listed the things that they look for. He's like, look, I, I, I work in the creative arts. I've been on television, blah, 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 blah. And I emailed them that and got right in. He's like, you should just do that. I was like, all right. And then I did that. <laughs> advocate for yourself. I had a, I had a yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, I have somebody who, who will serve as a reference if I choose yeah, to Yeah, you there. have to have one, one to three references of people that are on it. And I was, but then I've seen some of the people on it, and I was just like, "All right, there's some really hot girls." Oh yeah, there's on there. some really hot people. But on then it. one of my friends was telling me she was looking at her profile with a friend of hers, and he, I guess, visits a lot of escort sites, and he was looking at it with her, and he was just like, seeing her on an escort site, seeing oh, her on an escort, and there were like nine or ten girl, and I was like, "Well, now I don't really want to fucking be on it." Where I want to quote a friend without attributing, um, but they said. You know, Instagram models have to go somewhere to meet EDM DJs. <laughs> <Right. laughs> and I was like, I want in! I want, I want That's in! That's really funny. I was, I was like, I will never, this is the last time I'm, if I get in, I'm never talking about it again. I'll tell you that much. Right, yeah. If I get in, I will, this is it. This, this is, is it. it. This is it, everybody. Not going to talk about it ever. It's the yeah. Soho house of dating apps. It is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. But when like, I heard that there were all these like Instagram models that are escorts are on there, I just lost total interest. I'm like, I want to meet an actual. How much do you charge? <laughs> yeah. You got to monetize that shit somehow, man. I like, mean, no, no. I'm Look, be. Believe me, I have no problem with people doing any no, any sex mean. work. You're but like, I don't want to date an, an escort. Right. Yeah. You know? You're like, I, that's not that's not what I'm uh, Yeah, on there for. I was like, oh, people that work in the creative arts and we can like have stuff in common and hang out. I don't want to like, you know, hey, so what do you do? Well, I escort. Cool. Well, all right. All right. Next. Well, right. That's a, good, that's a cool friend to have. Sure. For sure. I, I want to hear the stories, but they probably won't tell you the stories. Yeah, that's You'd have to get to know him, I, I guess. Don't, like, like, I don't, I, I think, I mean, I definitely have had um, lady, per, not 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 romantic women friends, like I date men and women, uh, not like anyone right now, but um, I've had friends, platonic friends who are women who've done sex work in various mm-hmm. ways in the past, but uh, or, or present, but I've never actually had a, I don't think I've had a guy friend. Wait, yes, I do. That's not true. Um, but I don't. But I've never dated anyone who was like actively doing it, and I think that would be very a like very escort work. Yes, escort right. work. I think that would be very interesting because that's to me that's different from like being an adult performer. That's you know it's happening behind closed doors. I don't see it. Like, how do I feel about that? It's do regulated. I, do it's I need entertainment. To get my ego yeah. out of the way, or do I need to? Because yeah. the adult industry again has like code. Um, the yeah. sex work like private sort of call girl stuff doesn't I mean I'd also be worried about my my boyfriend I'd be like are you getting pegged in a way you don't like what's happening right so things I think about it doesn't seem like the safety issue too and in, in a few ways it's like are they gonna just get hurt or killed I, out there I, by I some just, it really needs to be thing. I think it really needs to be regulated just like fucking pot is For now sure. it's never going away right so I do you want to save lives or not because that's what you'll be doing. You'll be saving lives by regulating it. I lived in the Netherlands for briefly. I did like a semester abroad in college, and it was so interesting to me. This and this was long ago. This was in like 2000, mm-hmm. and it was so interesting because the attitude to um, to sex work was was just different. It was just. It wasn't that it wasn't stigmatized. It was, but it was different. It was. Yeah. I. I never. I was only there for two days in, in Amsterdam, and, and I wanted to actually talk to people. Like, what do you guys? How do you guys actually talk about the, the local prostitutes? Well, first of all, they none of them looked like they were from there. They all looked like. Yeah, that's. They all looked Russian. They get trapped. Some, and then there's the trafficking aspect that people get concerned yeah. about, which is very real. But I do know because I had friends who who've who've gone. Um, 
that at least at that time, and this is a long time ago, but you know, you had to have, you know, your sort of like a battery of tests, like yeah. results. Um, you have to get a license. You had to have posted yeah. and there was a license. And like in yeah. Nevada, like the way they do it oh, there. Oh, do they do that in Nevada? Yeah, they have like part that area. There is that part of Nevada where it's legal. Yeah, the Bunny Ranch. Yeah, it's like a few. Vegas, right? You have to schlep out of town. It's like thirty minutes out of town, but in the state, it's like legal. Like I I think that's that's the way it should be. Just like you go to a place to fuck because you want to. It's quite literally never stopped since people learned how to fuck. So at what point are you just going to be like, you know what? Let's make. A hundred billion dollars <laughs> countrywide <year>. off <laughs> taxing the living shit out of this. Right, right, right. I mean, and let everyone have their fun and go about their fucking I, lives. Someone explained yeah. to me how much the the sex workers in Amsterdam make, and it's not a lot because of how many fees oh, yeah. and taxes they pay. I mean, the yeah. government will take away your... Once something's not a black market product, yeah. it becomes mainstream. Like, cannabis right now still has that allure in a lot of places. Even here in California, I mean, it's it's medicinal weed. It's not recreational, right? Yeah. Whereas in Colorado, it's, you know, recreational across the board. And um, so if it still has that kind of, like tinge of danger it's more fun um it's also more dangerous and then once the government gets involved it gets safer often but more expensive and boring yeah Yeah. nerds you guys are smoking pot (laughs) weed card whatever man yeah Yeah, weed is not rebellious yeah i read some (laughs) study that said that so people always you know in the drug war in the 80s they always talked about how um they always talked about how weed was a gateway drug and I read this study that said, well, in a sense, that's true because people who smoke weed are more likely to try other drugs, but people, that doesn't mean that because they're more likely than someone who does not smoke marijuana, but like they're not wildly more likely to try something, much less get hooked on it. It's not, it's not a huge If weed didn't it's exist, a- the next drug would be a gateway drug. Right, Exactly. It would just be, it would, they're all, alcohol's also a gateway drug to weed. For sure. And like the fact that they ignore alcohol as the. It's, that and, is pretty funny. I never thought of that way. You're totally well, right. Well, because alcohol is legal. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. It, it's and it also not. is a massive industry that they tax living shit out of. Yeah. And they not. pretend, they pretend that alcohol is like somehow like holy water that's been like, no, it's okay. That's an okay kind of fun. Yeah, it's totally but fun. this dirty smoke, <laughs> it's bullshit. Right. And most people who smoke weed stick if they continue with any drug they're gonna stick with weed yeah they're gonna they're gonna go okay this is what i like and this is what uh, you know it's funny living out here like i mean i lived here for two years and then i moved back to new york for one and then now i'm back here as of a few months ago and welcome back uh, thank you i'm so happy to be back and my neighbor smokes pot all the time and I was thinking about it and I was like and I don't really smoke pot just because I've never I haven't really in depth like tried to you know my like science nerd friends are like you gotta get the right strain man right, yeah, yeah. I'm like alright weed scientist because I feel like weed doctors like didn't like didn't necessarily graduate at the top of their class in med school no. you know yeah. like they had op- they like Cedars Sinai was not like you need to be a surgeon like they didn't have so many options <laughs> yeah. and um, but Usually, I, it just makes me crankier. I fall asleep, and um, but I was saying that I was like, I'm glad that my neighbor chills out and smokes. That's good. Like, how much worse would it be if I had a neighbor who was a hard drinking man who yeah. was just like th- breaking walls and the such? Like, that's not a fun neighbor. I wonder because I see, as you know, I live very close to a high school, and I see there's a there's a group of five kids that get high every day after school around the corner. 
and I see them every single day and yeah. they are in no way they in no way hide the fact that they're getting high in front of me when the old man walks by with his dog mm-hmm. they in no way hide the pipe they sometimes tell me my dog is cute and oh. that's it yeah and, but yeah if I, they were drunk they would be for, like, yeah if they were drunk yeah. it'd be awful well you also have like really cool tattoos I mean but like still objectively cool. I guess <laughs> so they might go alright but I, I do worry a little about that generation to I'm like you know I have no problem with you smoking pot, but you you kids are getting high every day. Yeah. I'm a little worried. I'm like, I doubt any of these kids are going to become a doctor. Like, I, yeah. I, it's it's while it's not like so bad for you, it's not like the best thing for no, you. Breathing, inhale, or whether whatever, however you take it, it's not the greatest thing for you. And certainly, like smoking any kind of substance any smoke is a little tough on your lungs but if you knew someone yeah. who had to have who routinely like yeah I have three beers at about 3pm you'd be like I'd be huh okay mm-hmm. okay alright cool and, and you know I think that oh I just thought of something I, I had this I knew this woman in the Netherlands who she w- would have been in high school in the 80s and she told me that when she was in high school, in her particular high school, which granted was in Amsterdam and was in a very cosmopolitan area, had like a smoking lounge where mm-hmm. it was like you could do that. You could smoke weed um, after cool. school. It was only open after school. <laughs> and you were if yeah. you, they, you would get in trouble if you were if you were just as you if you were using any uh, substance uh, mm-hmm. on campus during the school day, they'd say, no, that's bullshit. Stop it. Um, but you know, after school it was okay. So if, if, if the society can find a way to make it appear safe or feel safe, then, then it's okay. I would, I think I would just like in the same way alcohol should be treated more like a narcotic. Oh my God. I think weed should be treated a little more like alcohol where it's like, guys, we get it. It's not always mind expanding. You're just getting super stoned and sitting on the curb. Especially with modern day weed. It's so much, it's so much more potent than the weed that, you know, they were smoking in like the seventies, eighties and even nineties. Don't get me me wrong. I'm sure your band is rad, but it does make you a way shittier driver if you're stoned. And I don't want you stoned and driving in the same way. I don't want you drinking and driving. So, and a lot of like high school pot use leads to liking YouTube stars, and that's a problem. That's a problem. Nick brings up an excellent point. You start with YouTube stars. Next thing you know, you like three eleven. Yeah. yeah, that's oh. fucking. And then you're like sharing vines with people, going like, "Hey, watch this funny vine video." And you're like, "You got to stop getting high. Like it's yeah. affecting your taste in good comedy." Literally, I like a few YouTube stars, um, but I also still like the Dave Matthews band. Oh right. wow! So I was Look. like cursed from the start. It's so weird with that band because I'm like. Every time I like look at them and hear their music, I go, well, fuck these guys. And then there's always like a handful of people who I respect that really <laughs> like them. It's like, I, and then I, I'm like, am I, part of me's gotta be wrong. You like them. No, My friend just, Molly, you who. You didn't grow up a, a boring white kid in the suburbs of New Jersey who had nothing else to do but then go to Giant Stadium that's a, a couple good times point. a year. And I, like, I liked <laughs> Dave it. Matthews Band a lot and I bet you if the right songs came on I'd be like fuck yeah no, there's a handful oh, yeah. that are cool he did this live album with Tim Reynolds it was wonderful yeah, it was that's wonderful. amazing yeah that's really really good into, like um, kind of roots music or uh, you know that that kind of like honoring the bluegrass tradition and mm-hmm. I love that stuff but yeah there's a lot of pan flute too right I'm not saying he's because I don't know enough about I'm not saying he's 
our generation's Grateful Dead. But I listen right. to Grateful Dead, and I think it sucks. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's lame, but I get that everyone wants to get high and dance around. Right. So fine. I never really got into, I didn't get into Fish either. No, either. I think Fish sucks worse than the Dead. They, they and they had way shittier that. t-shirts. But <laughs> right. I think if Dave Matthews Band was liked, he's a victim of his fans, because he got For turned sure. into frat Yeah, because yeah, his, his fans are, are, by and large, like... Yeah, they're backwards baseball Garbage. cap wearing yeah. pop yeah. collar bras. Abercrombie and Fitch. Are. Yeah, they're the like, worst. I have to know yeah. that like if if I'm going to a Dave, I like I looked up his concert. I haven't been in a while, and so I looked up the tour <laughs> dates and was like, oh shit. And I just like threw it out on Twitter. This is me not being responsible, but I was like, does anybody want to go see Dave with me? Because like <laughs> none of my friends will go. So That's I have like funny. thirty thousand Twitter followers, and I was like, do you guys want to go? Yeah. Don't be weird. Be a chick. Or Seven thousand people are like, oh go. And like a bunch of people DM'd me, and they were like, hell yeah. And they were all like, obviously cool. Well, not obviously, but they're all cool and not weird. But then I looked at the. Um, they probably would have killed me in person, but <laughs> I looked at the dates that everybody was looking at, and I was like, oh wow, uh, oh man, all the tickets were already gone. It was like, I don't want lawn. Like, I'm 35. I'm not sitting on the lawn this time. I'm sitting in a box seat up front. I'm in the orchestra section. I will be having vino or some... Expensive yeah. bottled water. Yeah, I'm bringing yeah. my own cheese and bread. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is. And we're making a night of if it. If it's not like a subscription box in the Hollywood oh, yeah. Bowl, I can't do it. Those are the fucking best. It's when you so get fun. you and like ten people, just split one, and then you bring like food and drinks and just like yeah. hang out on like an August. I will afternoon. only see a concert if I am eating cheese during the guitar yeah, you're, solo. You're like, wait, I'm an adult now at a concert. Yeah, this great. is like really oh, cool. I went, I went to see Neutral Milk Hotel, and I think like the Breeders opened for them. I was at that show. Oh yeah, yeah. I ran into you there. Yeah, yeah. And oh yeah. In the tunnel. That's yeah, where we saw each other. Yeah, that's, that's so okay. weird. I was at that show. I wasn't at that you, show. I was like, wait, were, were you, you? Are you in the? Are you a breeder? No. In the breeders? No. But they're was, good. Like, you know, I was sitting there and with my friend Matt, and I was like, this is we're so classy right now. <laughs> yeah. We're at the Hollywood Bowl. We're sitting in a box, but it was one of those little two people boxes. And I was like, we're in a box. I got a discount somehow. I forget how. I'm like, who? Who did I exchange favors with? Someone who was? Right. But I got a discount. That's how I could be there. Who opened? It was Daniel Johnston that yes. opened, and Daniel we missed Johnson. it. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah. Yeah, because when we were, yeah, you were, you were leaving to go meet up, find I a was friend, find Matt, and yeah. me, I was with my ex girlfriend at the time. We were racing in there to not miss Daniel Johnson, and we got there like three minutes after he ended. We sit down. And we're like, wait, is he done? What happened? Because I think they started earlier. We got the times fucked I up. I think they started a little bit earlier than I think, we, yeah. we were led to expect. Because and I think there were other people who were in that boat, too, who were like... Yeah, because a lot of people were still filtering in. And then we sit down, and we're like, oh, we missed him. And then the dude next to us leans over, and he goes... He's really fucked up. You didn't miss much. He's like overly medicated and thing, and then yeah. got him off stage. And yeah. that's and that's interesting. That brings it back to talking about like actually mental illness, which I yes. think is so interesting. Like, um, I you know at when you talk about a lot of performers deal with it, right? And yeah. so when you're talking about agency, um, is it's it's important to that the performer wants to be there, and I'm yeah. sure he does. He obviously seems to be driven and to love it. But you also definitely go, oh, is everything okay? I mean, he's obviously got... I haven't seen the documentary, but I know he's got like very involved, caring parents, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it would have been interesting to to see. And some people are just... The weird shit is that some people will see a performer who's who's got a lot of issues and will like just kind of want to see it. You can tell. The like, real fans versus people who are just like, oh, maybe this person will explode on stage. Yeah, they want to see a train yeah. wreck. Or, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think most of Daniel Johnson fans are very genuine and loving from what I've seen and have cool t-shirts. 
That's right. a, yeah. That's an, I mean, it is kind of an awkward relationship you have to have with these business people that get you to the venue. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't yeah. struggle with the same mental illness that Daniel Johnson does, but like, I've had to like be honest with my manager, like, hey, uh, just so you know, like someone died and I'm, I don't, so like, I'm, you have to, have to tell them like, hey, I'm not like super fired up right now or like, give me a yeah. week or whatever it is. Yeah. You're like, hey, this happened. I'm still going to go to work, but like kind of let them know that I'm not being weird. I've had to do that. I had, um, I've, I've had to do it because of, of myself, you know, hey, I'm super depressed right now. You know, I'm adjusting my meds. I will be cool. History tells me I will be cool in a month. Yeah. So if we can right. push this. But I also have had, you know, I've had issues within the past few years with people in my life being suicidal. And I've had to say, like, I got to go take care of this situation and help this person get care. Yeah. And, um you know, as an as an assistant, not as like a, a hero swooping in, but as yeah. somebody as part of their sort of general care team of friends and family, and uh, so and, and and I have found I've I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of very understanding people. Mm. Most of them have been through it too, in some way. Like so, it might be somebody who I've. It's really interesting. Like when I was pitching my memoir, Agora Fabulous, as a pilot, and I would go into these meetings, um, sometimes somebody would just kind of want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> be like, well, my kid. And I'd be like, all right, I'm not really pitching you. Let's talk about your kid. Yeah. And That's that was, a great that sign, though, though, that they're like, this person knows what they're talking about. Yeah. No, and I want to open up it to was, them. I think it was hopefully very helpful. And, I, you know, it was fun. I got to make some actual friends out of that experience and, and yeah. sell the pilot twice. <laughs> but, like, right. to get to, so the money was great, too, but to get to have real conversations with people. And one person brought me in and was like, all right, listen, I just want you to know this isn't right for us. And I was like, okay. And yeah, she thanks was like, for bringing me here to tell like, me that. All right. And she was like, but I really liked the book. Could we talk about the story you told? And they were like, don't get me wrong. I think you're a good writer. I'd like to work with you in the future. But, and I was like, oh, you just need to talk. Okay, I get it. And it was yeah. fine because it was like, look, I'm agoraphobic. It's very healthy for me to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. You're doing me a favor. I didn't fly across the country. I like, you know, yeah. train. it's fine. So, how, okay, let's talk about how you went from performer radio host to like I now I'm going to write a book about this subject because yeah. that's like a big leap for a lot of people to be like I need to write a book that was always what I wanted to do first be a writer uh, yeah author. yeah I okay. always wanted to be a writer from when I was a little girl okay. um and then as time went on I never saw myself as a comedian I, I went to Emerson College and had all these friends who did comedy and I think I did like one or two shows in uh-huh. my time there and um, not even I did like stand up once and blew the light really bad, so they had to like wave huh. their hands in front of me. And um, and then another time, I think I did a sketch show. But um, I I wanted to be a writer always. I majored in writing. Writing was always my thing as a kid and as a teen and on and on. But uh, I wanted to get my writing in front of people. And usually, when you start writing, you don't get published very much. So I had my own blog because everybody did and. 2006 and um, I I was in a class um, I was getting my graduate degree in teaching I wanted Mm. to be a high school teacher oh cool Um, yeah yeah yeah. well first I wanted to be a college professor but I didn't get into any MFA programs and that's what you need to be a writing professor so I thought okay and I got into this master's program so that's why I moved to New York I I did the master's program at Teachers College at Columbia which is like the most boringly named college like (laughs) doctor school (laughs) so um, I did that and I was like student teaching at the Bronx High School of Science during the day which was awesome and then at night I was at these night classes up in Morningside Heights and um, 
I was really sad one day uh, in my graduate seminar. Everybody cried at some point because first year teachers cry a lot. And so <laughs> they were like crying in this, I don't know what. And a friend of mine said, um, you know, I think, I don't, I feel like teaching maybe isn't your thing. And I was like, you, yeah, you're like, you're I'm right. already crying. Why like, are you I adding? <laughs> she was like, you should do comedy. You should, you're funny. You should do comedy. And I was like, how do I do that? And she was like, well, and it turned out she had just quit her job. Uh, she'd been at Comedy Central for a few years as an assistant uh-huh. and in, in the talent department and like working on premium blends and stuff like that. Yeah. And she had quit to become a middle school teacher. <laughs> so, so you're switching places yeah. essentially. <laughs> I'll do what you do. You get into my form yeah, of Yeah, so the yeah. first people I met in comedy were, were Joanne and Anne at Comedy Central Okay. Um, over dinner. And I was like, oh, this is what happens. You just go and eat burritos with development executives. Cool, got it. Um, and or like whatever their titles were at the time I forget and then I think the next people I met were like John Mulaney and Nick Kroll because she was like you need to come see oh hello these two guys are really funny and I was like well what is what what's Rafifi and so you know she took me to Rafifi um, years and years ago and um, and invite them up and stuff and so she showed me that comedy was different than I perhaps thought it was that there were more voices out there doing stranger things and that it wasn't just clubs and colleges, although yeah. that was where the money was. And so I started taking a class uh, at some point at the pit in not stand up in sketch comedy, sketch writing with Kevin Allison from the state. Yeah. And that's where I met my friend Oren Brimmer, who's still my friend 10 years later and is doing great. And um, that, that got me into performing. And performing was a way to get my writing out in front of a crowd. Yeah. That was always the aim, was always, always, always. Um, you know, maybe I'll get a book deal. <laughs> yeah. Which is so stupid in retrospect because seeing the amount of money you make from like TV film versus books is hilarious. And I'm like, do I need to start with books? Okay. <laughs> but I'm really grateful because all the, you know, any of the, the very few TV film things I've, I've been writing um, come from, have come from my books. Yeah. So then getting, I, I realized along the way that I was like, you know, so in 2006, it was like the people who were doing shows, let's say, at comics comedy club or something in New York. Yeah. Maybe that would have been like 08 or something. But so in like 2006, it's like, um, you know, there's like the like people who are the coolest of the cool would be like Nick and John are like close to the coolest of the cool. And like yeah. Chelsea Peretti is cool. And Jesse Klein is cool. And Eugene Merman is very cool. And then like um, Schumer is like somewhere like a, a little above me, but way below them and like working her ass off and working her ass off. And like, so there are all these people who are so great and I'm, I'm surrounded by all these talented people and um, I realized after several years that I was never going to be one of those people as a stand-up because yeah. I didn't have the drive as a stand-up. Your heart's in writing. and Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't have the drive. Uh, perhaps I don't have the inherent talent. Like, I can do it, but n- my dad golfs on the weekends and he's good yeah. among men in their 50s and 60s who are golfers on the weekend. He's never going to be Tiger Woods. <laughs> and he's yeah. cool with that. So I thought about it and I was like, well, all right. So I like doing this. I like performing. Um, but I love writing. And so I decided to kind of pivot a few years. Just It was only like three or four years later. I started doing uh, storytelling more. And I did uh, I did this one-woman show called Agora Fabulous. And that I workshopped and took around to festivals and shit. And that's how I got the book deal. Oh, wow. Deal. Okay. Yeah. And that's how I kind of... Because I also kind of looked at what Birbiglia did, and I looked at what Margaret Cho did. Yeah. And uh, again, experts, best practices, big fan. I like to look at people who are right. doing what I want to do, 
and then just copy yeah. that and see if it works. Right. right. And for Berbiglia, it did work many sure. times over. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I get it. And that's also when I saw, I, I was going, thinking about people I watched in college, like, like Anna Devere Smith, the actress, mm-hmm. did, um, she did all these amazing one-woman shows over the years where she, like Fires in the Mirror, which I think, I think was about the LA riots. Afterwards, she did a one about Crown Heights too. She went and she interviewed people and then she um, did monologues as them that were just taken verbatim from what they said. Yeah. And just embodied them. So she was like Al Sharpton. She's this person. She's that person. She's. Wow. And it was, it was, and I thought, well, that's not me, but something like that, you know. Was she on the West Wing? Hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she's in Nurse Jackie too. Um, Okay. She's in a lot of... I think she's in Rachel Getting Married. Okay. She's in all these... I guys. think I know exactly who she is. Yeah, she's this lovely... Like, I would love to meet her one day. Right. She was a professor, I think. And okay. So I just started looking at that. And also, like, I wasn't getting paid that much to do stand-up, but I was getting paid to make web videos and to write stuff. Yeah. So I just leaned into all of that. And then... So then the first book comes out, and then that does... Was it like the first book did well, and then the same publishers are like we want you to do another one like how does how does momentum work in the book world because you're on like your third book right now right fourth fourth fourth. yeah Yeah. and I have a fifth one coming out next year which is like that's like really impressive and not that yeah easy you don't no, run a into a lot of people one they give like a, several people write one yeah and everyone's like yeah no we we read it <laughs> yeah like, no no you did it true. you did it i feel i mean i feel really fortunate because even if i never get to do another one i still have these guys these i think they're like they, they're like the book version of doing a special a lot of people do like an album Right <laughs> or a special, yeah. Like a lot of people have one, yeah. One you get one late night credit, but to do yeah. like five is like that's you know Thank there's a big you. gap between one. A lot of people have done one of something, but yeah. Five and then on top of that, writing a book is not easy. You can it's get lonely. five minutes of stand up. Yeah, it seems together. incredibly it lonely. lonely. Yeah. And it, it actually set me up, I think, really nicely for. Um, I never wanted to write TV or film ever. I never never entertain. I never thought about it. I wanted to write books. Yeah, uh, and at different times, I wanted to write essays. Or I loved Molly Ivins; she was my hero. She was a, a, a Texan American, and she was this very liberal voice for years in Texas, yeah. and uh, a newspaper writer actually. And um, so, I, I guess like I wrote the first book, and it didn't. The numbers weren't crazy. It didn't sell mm-hmm. that great. It sold okay. You know, it wasn't and this is in horrible m- modern modern digital era numbers, or how do they compare yeah, those? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I never I get my royalty statement, and by the way, I've never made a royalty off any of my books. Most authors don't make royalties off their books unless you take a really low advance, because typically the way it works is that they go, okay, we're going to pay you this much in advance. You get half up front and half upon delivery of a publishable manuscript. Uh-huh. So not just the first draft you hand in, but once they're yeah. like. This fucker's in shape. We're going to send it to production to get copy edited and stuff. And that's us- that's how all my contracts have worked. I think that's how most people's contracts work with the, the like big guys. But um, like you you only make royalties once the company has decided that you have earned back in their calculation the um, advance that mm-hmm. they gave you. And so I haven't earned any royalties yet. I hope to someday. But what happens typically is that if your book does, if they think your book's going to do well, they'll do it in hardcover. And then if if that does well enough, they'll do it in paperback. And 
if they have an in-house um, audiobook division and mm-hmm. they think it's going to really kill, like Amy Poehler's book obviously was going to be amazing with audiobook sales. So is Tina Fey's. Yeah. Some authors that are very beloved, they'll do that for too. Then um, they will retain the audio rights and work out a deal with you on that. But um, with my book, the, the hardcover sold well enough, I guess. They went to paperback. I guess that sold okay. But they let the audio rights revert back to us because I think by that point, they were like, it's, it had tapered off. You know, uh-huh. I, It was never on a bestseller list or anything like that. So then what a lot of authors do is they then pitch it to outside groups like Audible okay. and say, hey, which is owned by Amazon. And they go, you go, hey, want to do this? And they go, oh, yay. And then they pay you some money. And you, you oh, usually you don't read your own. I read my own, which was cool. But um, so then, you know what? I, it didn't. My agent said to me, you know, the memoir didn't sell like crazy, but it got optioned. And so that's good. And there's like. Like we're still, now we're trying to find it another home, but I'm working with like Diablo Cody as an executive producer on oh, it. Cool. And so that adds a lot of like pizzazz when you yeah. have a name like that. And so he was like, why don't you try and write something in a different genre? And I was like, okay. And so we talked about YA. So I came up with a young adult novel. And so we pitched that and sold it. And generally in publishing, if you're at a big publisher, their company will have the right of, I don't know if it's called right of first refusal or what, but you have to show your next book to them first and they have to be able to make you an offer if they want. And so I was in the HarperCollins general family, so I went to pitch to Harper Teen and they liked it, so they bought it, so then I wrote that book. And that did all right, um, but again, not a bestseller, but, it, but now it just got optioned now, so I'm developing it as a TV pitch. So like it's, the books are interesting in terms of intellectual property because they can have life for years it seems like a long process where like literally in 10 years someone could be like hey we want to do this thing with and you're like i I don't remember that book at all yeah 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 i mean we'll think about like marielle heller's movie diary of a teenage girl um i think phoebe gluckner is the person who wrote the graphic novel i think upon which it's based and like marielle Mm. um mari optioned it i think years ago she did it as a play she did it as and then she did it as this like crazy successful indie film that yeah. with Alexander Skarsgård and Kristen Wiig that was won independent spirit awards I think or it was nominated at least and and so that has led to so much more for her and she's been working on I mean I remember being over there like at at I was over her house with with Emily Heller um mm-hmm. I was over there with her sister at some point and I remember seeing years ago like framed on the wall there was a review that was a really good review of the play I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, I just read it and I was like, oh, wow, this is something she's passionate about. This is so cool. I didn't know she was going to make it a movie eventually. And maybe she didn't either. But she worked. I mean, she worked like was so focused on that. And that's really cool. But that's how it is. And and any books that are before 1927 or public domain, uh-huh. which is why you see so much Jane Austen recycled, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. even though Jane Austen, I'm sure is, well, is great, obviously, but um, it's not just that they're timeless classics is that they're super, you don't have to pay for rights. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's great. But yeah, I mean, if you're the author and you retain your rights, like that's important. And that's why authors estates are sort of weird because there are like specific lawyers who deal with, author estate stuff just like with musician estate stuff yeah um then i guess the third book was called dc trip oh i have copies for you guys oh sweet bag of tricks um thank you uh the dc trip came out in november of 2015 and i love the cover of the book yeah i'll take it out you can hear it'll be like an asmr experience you can hear the crinkling of the bag (laughs) um yeah this is 
that's weird that it's folded like that. This is the book here. Whoa. Ooh, yeah, ooh that sounds somebody like a book, just everybody. Got tingles. Yeah. That triggered somebody's tingles. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is DC Trip. And the cover was designed by a comic. Um, it was designed by Diana Kolsky, mm-hmm. who has a, a book cover illustration and design business. And she's also a UCB person. Yeah. And I, I, I positively that. judge that book by its cover. Okay. I was like, that looks like a book I want to read well, based got, on its cover. Exactly. It's, got the, it's got the Washington uh, Memorial on the cover, yeah. the reflecting pool, and people getting um, wasted and making out in the reflecting pool. And it's. Yeah, it's cool. It's great. And somebody great. said to me, and there's like toilet paper wrapped around the Washington Memorial. And somebody said. Yeah, who wouldn't want to read that after yeah, seeing that I cover? Yeah, oh, I loved it. And, and they said, uh, somebody said, well, it like it looks phallic, you know? I was like, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, Wait, never no crossed idea. my mind. What? Yeah, what? hold on. Back up. When I was approving the cover, I had no idea. This is yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Could this be the first phallic building? Or right. might this be a trend? Yes. My eyes are now open. Wait, I this, see. This is bananas. You know what else looked like dicks? Dicks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I thought there was just going to be a dick on the cover. But this is, this is my first feature. I'm adapting this now. Um, that's what I'm going to go back and work on. Uh, after this actually but um so you know books have led me i thought books were the end all be all but turns out they're not at least in my life yeah and um they've led me to do other things and then the next one is called real artists have day jobs and other awesome things they don't teach you in school yeah let's talk about that i wanted to bring you guys a copy but i didn't have any that's okay i was like duh yeah, there's no way I they gave them. I gave a bunch to my mom. <laughs> it's, it's not out yet. It's out April 26th. Yeah, um, which maybe when this is out, it will be out. But um, April 26th, wherever books are sold, real artists have day jobs. This comes out April. Hold on, this next Tuesday. So if there's anything, the 19th. The oh, 19th. Yeah. So those of you who are hearing this day of release, because you're fans, this will come out next week. But mm-hmm. regardless of when you're hearing this in time, maybe you're listening in 2018. Maybe this is a retrospective of. of <laughs> The life and times of yeah. this particular podcast, and it's in yeah. 2030. Yeah. We have 80 episodes banked, so this is going to come out <laughs> like we're that you. far ahead. I remember when I did like when I did Marin's show, I, and I did it in 2012 in like January or February. Right, I was like, "Oh, when's it going to come out?" And they were like, "Nah." And it, was, yeah. it came out in July. nine months. You're like Jesus. I, I think like, mine yeah. came out six months after I did it. Yeah, That's mine funny. was about. And I was like, "Well, there was nothing topical, and I promoted nothing, so take wow. your time." Yeah, it was fine, it, yeah. and it was cool. But it was fun because uh, that. I mean, it was fun doing doing a show. Was fun because um, it was uh, it, it that I think it, it lent me some kind of like cred in my own mind. For real, yeah. I mm-hmm. was like, oh, okay. Yeah, but he was probably just scraping the bottom of the barrel for guests that month. I was like, ah, who cares? I felt like it was a favor when I did. <laughs> he was like, really? ah, this will help you. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was definitely. It's that that thing more than anybody else. There's certain people who will come up to me at shows or at a book event still, and it came out. Four I years yes, ago. me too. I get the same thing. They're like, hey man, I liked your mare, and I'm like, okay. There's certain podcasts that have that. Oh yeah, like yeah. his sure. does. I did his live one of his live oh, ones, cool. and Those I got cool. people. Years later, going, I heard you on that. I'm like, I was on it for 15 minutes. Because it's me and like three or four of the comics. Or what is the... Call um, me credit with my ex-boyfriend from college. Yeah, I mean, sure. some of those things really like they make like, a difference. Right. That's another example of people. That's like fame to people. Yeah. Like a, a really huge podcast means more to them than whoever's in, you know, a Twilight film. Well, podcasts are so podcasts are so intimate. The yeah. your, the listener is co-creating the experience with, totally. with us, the people who are having the experience totally. live right now. And they can invent if they don't know what you guys look like or what I look like, they can invent it in their heads and yeah. they can invent the setting and 
I love, I mean, starting out in radio was great because I really grew to have this enormous appreciation for that art form. Yeah. I, I wasn't particularly adept at it at the time, but, um, it, and that was when podcasts were starting to take off. So mm. I was there 2008 to 2010 at Sirius XM. And definitely podcasts were a big deal, but they were not as big a deal. And I remember th- us people talking and being like, one day podcasts yeah. are going to be huge and everybody's going to have one. And that's very true. Yeah. yeah. And they're so accessible and people are going to listen in their cars and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's true. And when they listen, yeah, to, they listen to people who they trust, like they will actually get the book of the guest yes, who's on or the album loyal. or the whatever because they're like, I trust that this person, I, I like their taste, I trust that they're going to get like an interesting good guest, you know, and the thing that they're going to promote, I'm going to buy. They're deeply loyal. Like the audio yeah, it's, re- it's a really cool loyal. thing that's happening. I rem- oh, Well, I think I started listening to Marin's podcast sometime, maybe it was 2011 yeah. because um, I heard he did a a he did that keynote that was the keynote speaker at Just for Laughs and he was like the keynote person oh, yeah, yeah. and he talked he talked about life and comedy and it really struck me as so true and one of one of the things he said I was just talking to somebody about it the other day five years later I was like somebody was like I feel like somebody who just moved here who is trying to get their book option and was like a lot of people just they have me in and they seem to really enjoy me and then nothing happens and I was like yes you're a performer and you're funny and you're a writer and I quote I'm misquoting him but he said something to the extent of sometimes development executives at a network will have you in just because they had 2 p.m. on a Wednesday open and that you'd be fun yeah, like they yeah. Have no they had an hour to kill. Like paying you to do anything. They also don't get to hang out with anybody. They don't. They're with suits all day. Yeah, so and like, they right. they like we sort of look at them as these weird monolithic cash registers, but they're like, hey, I like you. You seem cool. Like they just want to like meet a person that isn't like down the hall. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a, somebody who I worked with for a few years on a project that that didn't go anywhere, and she was you know in a sort of authoritative position in that she told people to sign my checks and so I always like but I always really looked up to her and admired her and she also had really great hair but I did was like I can't say anything because you know it was always professional and so then after that project ended um uh, like a couple weeks later I was like did you just want to hang out it was like asking us <laughs> she was like yes and I like went over her house and we were like yeah I was yeah. like can we just be friends she was like yeah I was like mm-hmm. I really like your hair <laughs> <laughs> are you guys still friends to this day yeah yeah perfect yeah. I was they talking the other great. day we're gonna, I was like do you want to go hiking she was like hell yeah that's funny <laughs> hiking walking around the reservoir yeah. at right, some right, point right. Uh, with no incline at all yeah but yeah sometimes you do it's hard sometimes to see the the human in the very nicely tailored suit because we want something from them and they want something from us and it's such a transactional relationship. One of my friends is executive and she was like, learn our names. She goes, no one remembers our names and it means a lot to us. Oh my God, it must. Yeah. Like it it really does. Like to me, like they're just a, you know, you see them four times a year and I don't necessarily remember. They're like, trust me, if you learn our names, we will end up picking you. Because no one learns, no one cares who we are. That's why. But then then sometimes you go in and they don't know they, they just go like, so what do you do? You're like, you couldn't have done any. Yeah. Because their assistant thinks you're cool. 
or like their yeah. friend was like, yeah, yeah. But sometimes then that assistant becomes somebody later who then they oh, always yeah, yeah. Do. always get along yeah. with the assistant. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I I also, a, I've been an assistant not in this town, but and not yeah. in this industry, but I've been a personal assistant, right. intimately involved in, in somebody's life with their their things and their stuff. One time. Um, somebody had a, a partner they were breaking up with and uh, I had to move that person's stuff out and move the new partner's stuff in without letting either one know about Whoa. each other. I felt real sleazy. Holy shit. <laughs> but like, so assistants see some shit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I always, whenever I meet somebody who's an assistant, I'm like, you, I'm like, hell yeah. You gotta be nice to those people because they are gonna move up. Yeah. And uh, you know what's funny? When, when I did that show, Agora Fabulous, the first thing, a one woman show, I think like, it must have been 2009 or 2010. It was probably 2009 that I did it out here. And as a result, got like my first general ever. And I was like, this is it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. You know, I'm no more day jobs for no this artist. No more day jobs for this yeah. gal. And um, so, but, and so nothing came of it except the executive there. Um, yes, we, we were friendly for a little while and fell out of touch. And then like four years later, she Facebooked me out of nowhere and was like, hey, what do you, I don't know if you remember me. I was like, of course I do. She's like, what are you doing now? That show was good. I was like, oh, it's a book now. It came out last year. And she was like, oh, send it to me. And that's how I sold the, fir- the, the pilot the first time. Wow. Yeah. Was somebody who came to see me in this little black box theater. That stuff that's, happens all, I can't tell you how many times cool. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. be, I'll get it, I'll be on a job or something and one of the executives will be like, oh, I saw you at the showcase nine years ago. I loved you. And I'm like, okay. Like, what? So it took that's nine crazy. years. Yeah. <laughs> that's the gestation period for liking someone. Really I think what also helps is not being a piece of shit. Like, that's a big one. Yeah. Oh my God. When somebody yeah. has you in, it took me a while to figure this out and thank God I wasn't, I mean, I don't know why I would have been a dick, but <laughs> like, um, a lot of times when you go in for these generals or these meetings or whatever they're called, like it's just kind of trying to figure out, all right, we have about an hour together if I like you. We have a half hour if I don't like you. We have an hour if I like you, like me being the executive. And I'm sussing out whether or not I can I could stand you for 16 hours a day for yeah. six weeks at a time or something. Like, they're, yeah, like yeah. that or all more. that. Yeah. It's really interesting to see that. It's, it's dating. It pretty much is. It it's totally like a really is. loaded first date with a lot of money on the line. Super You're intense. like, this is the fucking most stressful date I've ever been on. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Like, yeah. I, I want you to love me in a very special way. <laughs> oh God, I want to get on that Illuminati dating app and I want to Illumi- I love that you call it an Illuminati. I'm not going to tell anybody who's on it. I'm just going to see it. It's not that great. I've, I've looked through it. my friend's Profiles and then they're th- it's not it's not that great. I'm gonna make it. We're gonna make it great. Okay, if we get on it, You're it's gonna, gonna be get different. Off the wait list. I'm yeah. gonna get on the wait list. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you for an additional recommendation. Right, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If we're on it, we will make it great. Oh my, we're but as of now, so it's kind of whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, Ooh, maybe I'll date an architect. That seems cool. Right, like in theory. Yeah. Arch- yeah. It seems like it doesn't seem like a sexy person. Architects to date. are really depressed. And by the way, I think you're. In the, both of us in the in the 90s every TV show the cool guy was an architect yeah that's why I every think romantic cool. comedy the guy was an architect because I'm 35 so that was foundational shit for me in yeah. my, my tween to teen years yes yeah, the cool guy because whole evolution they didn't necessarily need architect. an office they could be like running around they always had a plan under their arm made them look yeah. official they yeah. could draw Artistic. kind of yeah. they weren't flighty like an artist they made a lot of money Mike yeah. Brady was an architect yep I mean, Mike Brady, one time, there was a whole thing, I believe it was the Hawaii special, where, and it was, I wasn't a huge Brady Bunch fan, but he had like a, he had like a project under his arm, and then they switched it out with the kid, took a different one, yep. it was a whole debacle, yeah, yeah, right, the yeah. movie, I have no idea, 
Um, but yeah, ever since, and I'll, I just like, I'm just like, whoa, like, do you, will you have a lot of copies of Dwell magazine in the house? Yep. Like, yeah. what will happen? I feel like it'll be very spare. Yeah. And like, I don't have any interest in a mysterious billionaire, but like, if it's somebody who's just like a really chill billionaire, I could handle that. Like a fun um, billionaire. I could date yeah. a famous. Like with the personality of like a Richard Branson. Oh, hell You're yeah. like, you seem fun. He has, I thanked him He'd at be the like end a good of Real Actors Have Day Jobs. I was like, Virgin America is the official airline. And I was like, of here's the book. deal, Richard yeah. Branson. And I know, I know I talk about it at the end of the book. I'm like, at the, in the acknowledgments, because I'm insane. I was like, <laughs> um... So here's the deal. I love Virgin America. I fucking love your your half peanut butter and jelly sandwich you can get. It's amazing. I get it every time. It comes with fruit snacks. Your safety video is amazing. It's yeah, great. It is good. Like, here's the deal, though. I don't like your in-flight seat-to-seat messaging system. That's creepy. Somebody tried to talk weird. to me once, and I didn't like it, Bro. and you're going to get a lawsuit. And I was like, I only want Richard Branson to message me. Well, now Alaska Airlines owns them. Yeah, now it's like, where do we go from here? I was concerned. And I tweeted at Virgin America. I said, Virgin America, I'm very happy for you. But if you guys fuck with my peanut butter and jelly yeah. half sandwich with the fruit snacks, I'm going to lose my shit. Hopefully they just leave him as is, but just under new ownership. That would be ideal. That would be so great. They're they, going to cut costs. That's what they do. The first time I took a Virgin America flight was like, I don't remember when the fuck it was, but it was Twitter was not huge. And so I had like 2,000 followers, which was considered a lot or something. And um, I tweeted it. That was my first time on. And my friend Barry Tunde, I was called it Barry Tunde Thurston. He's really funny. He um, He's an author as well. He called it Soul Plane. And I got on. I was like, this is Soul Plane. Look at it. And so I was tweeting about it like at their account. And then I was tweeting about how nice the people on my flight were. I didn't say my flight number, but they had they weren't flying much then. And so it was pretty easy to figure out. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm going to LA from JFK. So I wasn't like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which is like, like, that's one of our four flights that are flying like, right cool. now. Yeah. And so they... So I don't know how, what fucking technology magic they rocked, but basically, like, the people on the social team got to... I don't know who the fuck they got to, but they were able to get a message. I'm sure they have, like... I'm sure they have access. If, if I had access to Wi-Fi, the crew had access to Wi-Fi. Yeah. And so they contacted the people on the who were the in-flight crew what? and were like, there's this girl, Sarah Benincasa, who's tweeting about us. She has 2,000 followers. It's a huge deal because it's 1855, right. a.k.a. like 2008. And they were like, go give her a free drink. And so I noticed no the flight attendants start like walking down, like looking because my name wasn't on the manifest because my real name isn't Sarah Benincasa. I have a oh, different really? last name. Yeah, my real oh. last name is Donnelly. True story. Um, oh. My dad's my dad's family is Irish and my mom's family is fake Italian. Actually, Arab. And, Wait, what um, kind of Arab? I'm Arab. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, before a few years ago, I would have seen you as a as a threat, and now I see you as a brother. <laughs> uh, we're allies. Thank you, twenty three and me. Um, yeah, I'm only eleven percent Italian. I thought I was fifty percent. So is Ben and Casa a totally fabricated last name, or does it no. exist somewhere in your family? Uh, no, it, it exists. I mean, we, our family has a patron saint, Saint Catherine oh. Ben and Casa of okay. Siena, Italy. She was real weird. I think she was anorexic, according to modern analysis of her crazy writings. Right. But anyway, uh, no, no, Benicasa was my mother's, okay. uh, my mom's family. What family. kind of Arab are you? Uh, I think I'm the kind that was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. We're Druze, and that's real weird. We're yeah. going to go to Sicily and just pretend it never happened. So okay. my, my family is um, sort of like, we've all done different, we all did like different genetic tests to figure it out, and then also put together family lore to figure it, figure it out, and we're yeah. like, whoa. And... Um, it was. It actually wasn't that big of a surprise to me, um, but I think it was for sure a surprise to like, you know, people in my family who had to my grandparents' generation who had to be like, oh, cool, our mom lied about where she was from. Great, looks like dad did too. 
But um, they uh, they were from sort of the general, like, sort of like, nah, Lebanon, Syria, maybe Israel. I don't know. Maybe you're sort of near Jerusalem in some way. But really, these lines are shifting and ever political. Just, you know, typically around that area. Yeah. But it's interesting because Druze, peop- Druze people, um, like Amal Clooney, my best friend, um, <laughs> and Casey Kasem, my best friend. Uh, they have much like Ashkenazi Jews have a specific sort of genetic marker that pops up that just says hey we're Ashkenazi Um, Druze people have the same Yeah. Uh, from from my very limited understanding of this because I was really intrigued I was like wait how did they like pinpoint you know this is Druze is a Druze people there's only about like I think a million and a half to two million Druze people in the world yeah they're very like spread out they have no country they have no so yeah Yeah. you're just like how the hell can you identify what and it's you know well when you know there's a lot of a uh, intramarriage is it called right keep it in the family yeah and eventually- assyrians kind of have the same thing well there are a lot of Druze in syria no no, no. Uh, assyrian oh assyrian yeah oh interesting so a-s-s-y like they're That's like, like old school shit very old they've school. been like they, they keep and it together yeah and there's they also have no place to claim but people can just like they keep track of their lineage and they can just tell, which is like really bizarre. It's, uh, it's so, so fascinating. Yeah. And it's also interesting that people, people probably look at you and go like, oh, are you French? Oh, are you this? Like they probably come up with, do people try to like place you? Like, oh, are yeah, you Yeah, in Latino? different parts of the, even this city, yeah. I get different things in different parts of the country. I get different, like I'm ambiguous enough to where people don't really know what, what really is going on. Some dude came Even though my last name is, Yusef is very Middle Eastern to right. me. But if people look at you, they would go, you're a, uh, uh, you're, uh, uh, you're white. As somebody said to me once on the street, I dress very white, which yeah. helps. Well, you dress, I look, it's, it's very non-threatening. Otherwise I would yeah. be very threatened. You dress very stylishly. Thank you. I'm just going to point that out. Thank you. But, um, I, I uh, I, I was walking down the street. I used to live in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn, which is yeah. between Fort Greene and Bed-Stuy. And I was walking like where Clinton Hill turns into Bed-Stuy and a gentleman approached me, uh, and stopped and looked me up and down and it I was like oh he's gonna say something sexual and um yeah he goes uh he goes you're white but that ain't the whole story (laughs) (laughs) that's a great line because you're like I'm intrigued enough to want to know more here what do you got I was like thank you I just said thank you I said thank you yeah I I was like thank you very much I have to keep going. You weren't curious, like, what else is coming? I think he looked at my ass and my hips and my nose and my hair, and he was like, something else is happening. Like, right. I think he is, his version of, of, of That's white. That's funny. If white were the whole story, I think in his mind, I would have maybe had blonde, straight hair and blue eyes. Right. And yeah. A little nose. It's like, there's and, way too much sass. Yeah, he was like, what's going on? Like, it seems <laughs> like there's a spicy, there's some, yeah. something happened. Yeah. There's some sort of desert influence, something warm. I, I don't know. Your lineage. <laughs> Stirring large containers of soup. Yeah, he was yeah. like, "You seem like a hardy people who've been through some stuff." Yeah. Well, my family is like all warring peoples. It's um, it's Basque and Spaniards, and mm-hmm. then it's uh, a little tiny bit Italian who are just angry all the time anyway, yeah. or they're really they're just like feeling lots of things. And then there are of course the 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 Druze who don't aren't always beloved by Arabs, and so there's some other Arab stuff in there too, and there's like a tiny bit of Ashkenazi Jew thrown in for fun. Yeah. And then there's the Irish and the English, not always friends, so it's just a lot of yeah. rage. <laughs> it's a little European Mediterranean rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just angry, angry yeah. You've channeled that into like a bunch of successful books. Yeah. <laughs> so it could have gone where you could be in jail right now for no, like I aggravated be, assault. I could, you I know? could be murdering people for Exactly, so yeah. You turned it into creative. It's like a lot of, there could be yeah. so many different like 
<laughs> angry, racist, colonialist totally. ideals that I have. But instead, yeah. I just said I'm going to write books. Yeah, I think it, you could call your next book "My Chromosomes Are Screaming at Each Other." Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's how it feels internally. Right. Yeah. That's for sure how it feels, and there is, of course, like certainly madness that runs through my family so it's really nice to feel like I come by that authentically yeah. and point to generations <laughs> totally. and go, isn't yeah. it so much fun to be like it's just part of my bloodline like Hell that's yeah. just why I'm acting like this it's you get this pass sweet excuse. <laughs> yeah. and it's not a bl- I, I think my parents used to feel a little guilty about it because they both on each side have different issues throughout their you know family that we can trace back to the back to my great grandparents generation at least um, and my parents, I think, used to feel bad because they felt like they gave it to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm not blaming you. This is awesome. It's no one's fault. Isn't yeah. this great? Yeah. It's I, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's fucking yeah. crazy. And oh. we've, like, had to go to the hospital for years. This <laughs> <Right>. is awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, we, we, we totally got off track. Oh, yeah. The... Um, the, the title of the book. Real Artists Have Day Jobs. Yeah. Available now, probably. It's it's available in some form, mm-hmm. uh, whether you pre-order it, get it, but it'll be, uh, it's paperback and... Uh, Kindle back? Kindle. Kindle back mm-hmm. and Nook back, which Nook sounds back. very disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it But does. yeah, it's in an electronic and paperback form and it is reasonably priced somewhere near you. Mm-hmm. And it's a series of 52 essays. Um, some of them are short. Some are like a paragraph long. Oh, wow. And they have titles like Life is Too Short for Shitty Friends and A Vagina is Not a Time Machine, and which a lot of people think is about older men trying to fuck their way into youth. And it's not actually. It's actually about like a time in my life when I was really sad and drinking too much and lonely. And so I tried to like have sex and, and fuck my way back in time. In With like <laughs> young, younger just, guys or something? Or? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there was a dude or just who was younger behavior. I was, I think I thought, well, I, I didn't do my twenties right. And now I'm 31 at the time I was 31 and I was like, I'm going to live it up now. Um, and it just, no, you can't like, don't do that. So you can read the tale. It's very delightful. So 52 essays. Okay. Yeah. But some of them were wicked short and it's, um, based on all the times I've fucked up, but learned something and like the very few times I've gotten something right the first time. So it's advice, but it's not, it's, it's advice and humor and funny essays, but it's not like, it's not douchey. Like I know how to do everything. Here's how. Oh yeah. I have never really have an interest in those. I always want to read about the people that are like, I made a shitload of mistakes and like, I learned some stuff and I still kind of don't have it all figured out. Those are the best. Yeah, I love it. Because then it's like you don't feel like you're being talked down to. I like to, when I read a book or if I see somebody on stage doing comedy, I do, I love like weird, absurd stuff too. But what I love the most is when I feel like somebody's talking to me at the dinner table and we're having a nice conversation. And and so that's kind of what I strive to do in in my writing, which makes it pretty accessible. Maybe not that artistic or like it's not high art, but it's fun though. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't it make it high art? I, th- I always think of high art, something that gets blessed as high art or sanctified as high art as being something that has this veneer of um, sophistication about it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which I suppose is really has to do with class, right? Ultimately, yeah. it, it, if, if the prose smells like old money or something, right. which, and then I guess what that, if you take that further, what I'm saying is that it's not, um, it doesn't feel fancy to me. Nothing I've written feels like something that would be taught at a, at, a, at a prestigious university and unpacked in depth because it is pretty straightforward and what you see is what you get. And I think, but I think there's room for both. I mean, I love, yeah. I love lyrical prose that is um, 
fascinating and sometimes difficult to parse. And then, like, I have Khloe Kardashian's book, Strong Looks Better Naked, which I suggest you buy along with my book. Right. right. Real artists have day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so is there... See, I didn't really know much about it besides uh, the title because it's not out yet, so right. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, I wonder if this is you making the case that you don't have... Like, literally, you don't have to be... You can be an actual artist before you quit your day job or, or oh, your yeah I mean so I, is there any know. writing about that it, that yes. yeah okay. it's about the the sort of titular essay is something I put on medium originally and that sparked the idea for the book and so I, I don't have a day job now I haven't had a day job in I don't know four or five years but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I haven't done work that wasn't purely fancy pants I've done right. corporate gigs I've done it hasn't just been me doodling in my romantic artist Garrett you know right. like I've consulted on advertising campaigns. I would love to do that more, by the way. Reach me at Sarah at SarahBendingCasa.com. The money is sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially if you're a liquor brand. Absolute. If you're interested, I will write so much for you for lots of money. But, um, so it, so I've, I've had a home office, right? But like, that doesn't mean I'm not doing shit for corporate chill. I mean, you yeah. know, even my books, like all of my books, I mean, I'm not with any sort of like like I mean Harper Collins is, is owned by Rupert Murdoch like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I work for I work for people who are owned by bazillionaires right. and so my point in that essay though is that as long as you do your art you're an artist and I'm not saying nowhere in the book does it say everybody's good at art or everybody's equally funny or everybody's equally smart or whatever it's not that it's not saying I like your art it's that if you do your art you are that so if you are a weekend carpenter or woodworker yeah. you're a carpenter or woodworker if you do it if you talk about it, I mean, I also, I have friends who call themselves comedians who don't fucking ever do comedy. They just kind of want to hang out. And that's yeah. not They do it like once a month or something, yeah. What's more a comedian to me is somebody who is a mom with three kids <laughs> and has to get a babysitter once a week to go, so she can go and hit an open mic. But she's committed and she's there every fucking week. Like, to me, that's yeah. your comedian. Yeah. And if you... It doesn't matter if you never make a dime off it. You're still that. Like, there are plenty of artists in history who never made any money off of what they did. Yeah. And they were, but they were good. So that's really the point. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty affirming. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also not blowing smoke up anybody's ass. So it's sort of a combination of inspiring. Yeah, you're also saying like you're definitely going to need a day job probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's at also least like, for a long ass time. Yeah. I've had plenty of day jobs, and I, as I say in the book, I have no reason to believe I won't in the future. Mm-hmm. And maybe they will take different forms. I would love to be uh, to teach college classes sometime, but that's a day job, right? Yeah. yeah. And grading papers is not romantic but I've been a, I've been a janitor and I've been a terrible janitor and I've been a slightly okay high school teacher and I've <laughs> been a, I was at a I was a paralegal at a law firm that specialized in immigration for fashion models in the in That's New York City oh yeah about lasted about six weeks uh, I've mm-hmm. written I used to be an associate editor at pharmaceutical executive magazine wow. I blogged for Planned Parenthood for like a month like I've you know We've all had different kinds of jobs. Yeah. And it's okay that if, if you're not writing down, I am an artist on your tax return every year. Right, right. You're still an artist. You just have to fucking do the art. Don't say that you are, are a thing. Yeah, there's no it. really, there's no such like, you shouldn't make the distinction really that someone who works very hard and is very good at whatever artistic endeavor 
they're pursuing like can't and also works at Starbucks or has like an is an yeah. accountant like it doesn't count like I think people used to think that they're just like weird. you're not a, yes. a a comedian or an actor or whatever until you're not working in an office then it from counts. nine to five yeah and I do think there's some of that old school attitude particularly among people. Um, perhaps of like um, my parents' generation a little mm-hmm. bit. Not my parents specifically, although I think my father was a little, the comedy thing, it took a while for that to sink in. Yeah. And I think it started to matter probably the first time I ever got paid for a gig. Yeah, my, mine are the same. Because they're like immigrants who, they're like you work your ass off and get paid. And That's if you're not doing that, are, you don't have a fucking job. So you're first generation here? Yeah. Comedians who are first generation Americans are have the best stories because like, a lot of times that is something I've heard Julia Rossi talk about this. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times the parents, um, you know, you can look at it in any family. Somebody who had to fight really hard to get here oh, yeah. is like going to be a little confused by you assimilating to such a degree that not only did you assimilate, but you almost like also made yourself stand really far apart at the same time by choosing to be yeah. a comedian. Of all like things. this motherfucker overcorrected. We just, <laughs> exactly. yeah, fit in dude. But also <laughs> like, <laughs> walk the line, Nick. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. No, they were very upset for a long time. They're like, you wasted our fucking time. <laughs> we, we got all the way the fuck over here so you could throw your fucking life away. I got so many versions of you threw your life away yeah. and you disappointed us. I mean, it was just fucking like, holy shit. <laughs> but you fought, you powered through yeah. and you kept doing it. And yeah. That's, that's a testament to either your own wildness or your own true love of the yeah. form or all of that. My mom told me once when I was, and this is like years later after they realized that they're, they're like, we support what you do and we're happy for you. Um, that she she once told me she's like it didn't she's like we once realized in your early to mid twenties or something it, it, they're like it doesn't matter we can't stop him he's gonna do what he wants to do she's like even when you were two you were always like trying to get away and trying to go do figure out other places and things to do like when you were like a baby you were always <laughs> trying to like go elsewhere and explore and get out there. She's like, it was in you from when you were a little kid. That's and cool. she's like, we should have just accepted it sooner. It would have probably been That's easier. Really and everybody, cool. I was like, good. They were always like, where the hell's Nick? Oh, yeah. Jesus. He's yeah. three he's rooms away. Wandering. He's under the damn car. He's trying to get outside. Yeah. He's trying to like, leave. Well, good for them. I mean, I'm sure they caused you plenty of heartache along the way, but like, that's and I really did cool. cause them plenty. Of, oh, I was sure. the worst kid ever. I was a the worst. Breaking little monster. Yeah. I was a piece of mohawk wearing shit. <laughs> Were you a punk kid? Oh, I was the worst. I was like, I wore all black and I had fucking Marilyn Manson t-shirts and different color hair every three days. I was getting suspended, threatening teachers. Like, I was the worst. Oh. I wish I could see that your poor parents being like, I don't know what we did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like, so stressful. There's a lot of yelling. A lot of yelling. My dad threatened to cut my mohawk off one day. <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, if you die, because my, my pillow I remember at one because I died at like every it's probably stained your pillow two, was yeah every two or three days so even they would wash the pillowcase it would just still have like all these different colors on it and my dad one day was like coming into my room I was in like ninth, ninth, tenth grade or something like that he's leaving for work he's trying to wake me up because it was just the worst at waking up and he was like uh, is, did you dye your fucking hair again I was like yeah and he's like when is this going to stop? I'm like, when I feel ready to stop. You can't stop me. I'm 16, you know? And then he threatened, and he looks at me with the most serious face. And he's like an intimidating, serious person. And when he wants to be, he's a very good sense of humor, all that stuff. And he looks at me, he's like, one day you're going to wake up, and when you look at that pillow, your hair is going to be on it. I was like, 
Hell yeah. Because I thought it was funny that it was stained with all these colors. And then he was like, well, the next time you see it, it's going to have your hair on it. And I just was like, he's really going to do it. He's going to fucking cut my... Because I was so bad at waking up. I'm like, I probably won't notice until it's already cut off. It scared the fucking shit out of me. It really did. But it never stopped. I was just like, I don't care. I have to fucking get what I want. Are you, were you an only child? I have a younger brother. Okay, so you're the oldest. Yeah. Is your younger brother a bit more of a conformist? Yeah, he was just, he's the quieter, kind of like stays in line. There's usually one or the, it usually goes, yeah. seems to go that way. Like There couldn't one. be two, yeah. And I think he was just like a little younger and saw like how I was and he, I think he was just like, well, that's not really worth it. That's just like way too much. <laughs> Nick gets yelled at a lot. Yeah, he's grounded all the time. He gets screamed I want at. a mohawk, but do I want the screaming? I think it just looked stressful because I was very high strung, depressed, anxious, oh, angry. Too. Like I was the fucking worst. Suicidal at times. Like it was, I was the fucking worst. I was really well behaved but really high strung emotionally and stressed yeah. out and like my parents, my especially my dad demanded this really high standard of me as far as grades went and all this shit yeah. and so I played by the rules all the time and felt so guilty and awful if I ever did one thing wrong was super hard on myself oh, and wow. I think my brother, my little brother three years younger, Steve looked at it and was just like fuck that and just did whatever the fuck he wanted right. to and also he was a boy and my mom did treat him differently although she spoiled both of us really like really indulgent but um he, you know, my dad would discipline him and then my mom would be like, here's a bicycle. Don't be mad at us. I love you. And so my brother That's would just hilarious. be like, fuck this. I'm going to get high and fuck chicks. Yeah. Right, well, that's right. not really it. But he, you know, he was always partying. He was fun. And he's, um, he just got married a couple weekends ago, which was really fun. And it was, and it was awesome. But he's actually, I wouldn't have thought he would choose a more traditional path than me, but he has. Like he um, went into business wasn't into it, and then became a registered nurse, which oh, wow. is not typical. And now he's working in the healthcare field in business as well, but he still has his RN. Wow. And so he owns a house. He's married. You know, like it, he's taken. He got it all out of his system way back in the day. Yeah, he yeah. did. And it's, but I'm like, thank God, man. Like, thank you, little dude, because like you're checking off all the money. Like, you will provide grandchildren at some point in yeah. some way. Yeah. I don't know if I will. I maybe, but you're gonna like it's great. My parents got to have a wedding, you know. Yeah. It was yeah. His. yeah. You're like, whoo, pressure's like, off this me. This is awesome, dude. Yeah. And my parents, I think, were so broken in by the fact that like I was a super stressed type A kid who just fell apart in in late adolescence. Um, and I think like once your parents are concerned that you might die, and they like very vividly experience like your descent into madness and, and, and like sort of have to rescue you from your creepy room, which is what my parents did with me when I was in college. Um, oh. I think that that made a deep impression and that really changed our relationship actually. So then they sort of went the other way to becoming like so accepting. <laughs> right. This is great. Yeah. Comedy, comedy a few years later did give them pause again, but like, right. you know, they, they got on board eventually and they That's were very, good. they're very supportive now. Oh yeah, they they better be proud now. Book five on its way well, out. Book, pay, when Come there's something on. they can hold or yeah. they can point to, or they can go, "This is my son's comedy album." Don't listen to it, but this is my son's comedy. Yeah, album. Right, right. My kid was on TV, or my kid like wrote something that was published in a newspaper that I've yeah. heard of before. Like that, it, it once it becomes tactile in some way to them and real, then it, yeah. I think they get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is that a shofar, by the way? What, what's happening? Is that a... Do you that? blow into that horn? What's no, it's just a horn. Good. My grandfather had horns. It's the coolest paperweight cool. in the world. Yeah, there's, there's, a, really there's cool. a lot of horns. This house is beautiful, by the way, and it's everything is, is in its place in a really lovely way. Yeah, but little to do with me, but yes. Well, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. 
It looks so cool. There's a, I got a lot of horns. So. There's a typewriter. There's a horn. There are various books about art. There's a, there's a banjo over there. Typewriter was a see. gift. Banjo was a gift. Yeah. I just want to name objects in your house. <laughs> Painting. Julian Schnabel slash Schnabel book. I never know how to say his name. We were talking about him before. I don't think it's on. Schnabel. Julian Schnabel. Is he still married to Olatz Schnabel? I, I don't know, but I hope so. I hope so, too. She was a hot God, babe. what a name. Hot Spanish babe. I didn't even okay. know it was a female you were talking about. That name is just so gender neutral. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, so the book is out next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, April this, 26th. Yeah, and then you can buy it um, in physical form, which I think people should do. Yeah, I would love it if you did that. Yeah. Um, Wait, yeah. how do you get more Either money way. if people buy it paper you know or Kindle? I, I feel I don't know the internal logic of the company but I have a feeling that in the publishing world <laughs> whether you buy it um, through Kindle or you buy it through paper I have a feeling that my margin of profit is the same okay. in theory. Yeah. Either way, I'm it's a book sure sold, though. Yeah, okay. either way, it counts as sold. So okay. one reason that actually pre-orders are really important, I hope everybody knows this okay. and maybe didn't uh, before. I didn't know it before, but now I know it, that for your, your favorite authors, a great way to support them, and, and this is true with musicians in a different way, is to pre-order their thing. Ah. Because pre-orders go into... First day sales. First day sales, and that goes into your first week sales, and ah. your first, your first, basically, like if you're gonna get the conventional wisdom is that with most books, if you're gonna get on the New York Times bestseller list, it's gonna happen as a result of first or second week sales. Okay. And once you're there, you're more likely to stay there because um, people are gonna go, oh my god, it's on the Times bestseller list, I have to get it, yeah. and so that will keep mm-hmm. going for a while. There are books that don't do shit at first, like Fifty Shades of Grey, and then go batshit because of word of mouth. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's a pretty safe bet that for most authors, especially what's called a mid list author like me, which is like, yeah, they sell okay, but they're not huge, and I can draw a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you pre order, that looks really good okay. to the publisher. They put more marketing muscle behind it. It's yeah, that's a you. And they can do that on it. on the nineteenth, the day this comes they out. They can indeed. You just okay. get right on there. It's on your Amazon. It's on IndieBound. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's if you have a local bookstore, please go there or call okay. them up and ask for it. Please support them. Cool. That's so awesome. So pre pre order this book, and we'll mention this. We're going to record an intro later. We'll mention all that in the intro, so they'll hear it at the top of the episode. And, <gasps> that's so exciting. And now, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and they should buy it. And they should love it, and they should tell you how much they love it, and where can they reach you? Well, you can reach me on Twitter, at Sarah J. Benincasa, and my website is sarahbenincasa.com. It's S-A-R-A, and then it's like the name of a boy named Ben, and then he's in a Spanish or Italian house, Casa, Sarah ah, Benincasa. I love the way you just spelled your last name. That was awesome. It took a really long time for me to figure but out how to so do it. But it's so simple, and it's like, who can fuck it up after that? <laughs> Where's Ben? He's in his casa. Yeah, yeah. he's in Casa. There you Somebody go. Somebody said to me, actually, a few people... Ben is in the house! People have said to me, did you make your name up because you're an agoraphobe? Like, you know, you're like, you've been in that house. Oh, I was yeah. like, what the fuck are you talking... What? <laughs> That's not even... Then I would be being... Bean, Ben, Ben in Casa. In ca- what? No, that's a weird. Sarah's deep. been in Casa. Yeah, like yeah. I was, I was oh, that girl. She done she been, been in Casa. She done been in Casa. Been in Casa. She done stays in Casa. She does sometimes. Actually, today <laughs> this is my really first time funny. out of the house. I feel great about it today. Yeah, thank you for coming out of the oh, house to do this. Thank you for inviting me out of yeah, the house. Totally. Like, oh, I have before before I go. Uh, should I should I tell you briefly the, the items that are in this? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I brought a bag of items okay. that I felt were necessary. Uh, two books. Good. Um, that I wrote. Uh, I heard that you were eating healthy. 
<laughs> so these are I was doing grocery shopping anyway these are oven toasted oats which oh. are which if you'll note are USDA organic right and it's very good for like you know for the bowels um, are they steel cut it's, uh, I can oh, see it from fuck here yeah, okay. still cut. The fuck yeah they're still fuck cut fuck yeah bro from? I don't fuck with not steel cut um, this is uh, America's number one trusted baking soda brand oh, sweet. Right. here's the thing not organic but if you want to you can use it to clean all kinds of stuff in your house or on your body oh good and no, the, I didn't really bring Nick anything. Um, <laughs> this is what it pays to have a house. You get all kinds of cool house stuff. Yeah, this is apple cider vinegar right. from locally here in Southern California. Nice. And I don't really know what you do with this. I just know that like everyone I know who's ever been on like, at this a point, cleanse. I know the same thing. Where everyone who's healthy has it in their house. They have yeah. it, and I don't know if it's like for. I don't this know girlfriend drinks it sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I think it like wakes you up in the morning. I had something called fire cider once. It was good. That was part of that and spices and right. then this is a lemon. Right. <laughs> Which is just like a good thing to have, I think. Yeah, this also, by the way, is more grocery shopping than Kevin's probably done I've in the last seven years. I've never done any yeah. of this. And this is uh, this is from the farmer's market. That's to Silver kill vampires. <laughs> yeah, and it's, to, it's, it's, it's garlic to kill vampires. Yeah. Should they appear in your home. The Hollywood yeah. vampires. Or to keep them away. That doesn't kill them. Yeah. I think it keeps them out of your house. Yeah, just like bothers. Look, I'm definitely going to use all that stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to allow much. Nick to pick one of the things. Or oh, yeah. Two of the Nick, things he well, the garlic one. and lemon I can use to make my award-winning, regionally famous hummus. Definitely never oh, enter any That's contest. Very okay. That's very on brand. That's very on brand. I like yeah. it. It would be weird if you were like, mm, I'm going to make pasta. I'd be like, stay no, in your No, lane. no, no. Yeah. No, I make fucking hummus that'll destroy your mind. That's awesome, dude. Uh, that's really cool. That's just <laughs> delicious. Hummus has never been described. You know why? Because you use bath salts in it. It'll literally <laughs> yeah. destroy your mind. So yeah. Good. You'll be bleeding out of your ears because you stabbed them with a pencil because there guy. were demons living literally inside kill of your brain. <laughs> kill a guy. And then you will eat oh, someone's face nearby. Right, yeah. That's how good it is. the hummus. That's yeah. how good it is. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for the gift. Well, thanks, Kevin. Thank you for the gifts. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, thank you for the gifts. And thank you for being on the show. This oh, I've, I've loved it. Thank you very yeah. much. I yeah. hope everyone has subscribed on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> there I don't go. think we've ever had the presence of mind <laughs> to I know, say we that never, Yeah, we always forget. Because <laughs> we're like, well, if they're listening, they probably already did. Yeah. But then yeah. some people stumble upon it and go, do I? And then they forget. Nope. Subscribe. Yeah. And if you love it, leave yeah. a positive review. <laughs> that's such a, you get into that radio voice so yeah. perfectly. I'm just like, <laughs> Because I have headphones in, I'm like, oh, it. that sounds so. It yeah. goes. I, I mean, I'm so used to it from like from you know Sirius XM. Uh, well, let's do Sirius 108 XM 162. Uh, get in bed on Cosmo Radio 8 to 11 East, 5 to 8 West every weeknight. That sounds so good. <laughs> so fucking weird. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank thank you again. Bye. Bye. <laughs>